This is Nasser Metcalf, and you are listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, an award-winning, unofficial podcast on print. For over 10 years, giving you print news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the print world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my God, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tony M. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Millions of listens, 115 episodes, 10 years, four guys, one legend. And zero lawsuits. (laughs) (laughs) So far. Hello, 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 and welcome. Hang on, I just got an email. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Where's my thunderous applause of laughter? <laughs> hello, 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 and welcome to the Peach and Black podcast. This is episode 116. Wow. On this day, 10 years ago, we started this little podcast in Australia and it went global and it spawned into something way beyond our wildest dreams. In that time, we've had a lot of fun. We've done a lot of reviews. We've spoken about news and we've done a fair share of interviews as well. And it's been kind of crazy. Not only that, but unbeknownst to us, well, we found out about this eventually, but all these crazy, amazing things started happening. So numerous accolades we started receiving. For example, in 2014, NME's list of 11 music podcasts that will make your commute amazing. We were in that, which was bloody awesome. Then we were featured in a Financial Times article in 2016 as part of the golden age of podcasting. We were winners of the Castaway Podcast Awards popular vote for the category of literature, arts, and music in 2017. Was that the first one? I think it was, yes. The first awards they ever had, and we won it. (laughs) So that's pretty good. There you go. And most recently, we were inducted into an archive into the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia as a podcast, which is a huge, massive crowning achievement for us. And we definitely don't take that lightly because not only for now, but we are preserved digitally for future generations wanting to know about Prince and his legacy. And of course, you know, I've said a lot there, but we couldn't have done any of this without all of you. And by all of you, we talk about, we're talking to our listeners and uh, supporters and fans. And it's just crazy. When we first started this, we would look at the stats, you know, how many people are listening to our show? How many people are commenting? And we'd interact with everyone that we could. But over the years, it's grown to an insurmountable number. And from all of us on the Peach and Black podcast, we just want to say thank you, a massive thank you for listening to us over the years and supporting us. And it's, uh, it's time to get into this show, which is pretty special. We've been around for a decade. I can't believe it. 
This is our special 10th anniversary edition episode. So, as always, on the Peach and Black podcast, from left to right, player. In the words of Larry Graham's nephew, we started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> Toe jam. Uh, I've still got that copy of Kama Sutra if you guys need it. <laughs> Captain. Technically, this is the start of our second decade. <laughs> that makes me feel very old. And of course, I am Rob S. in this virtual building that we call the Peach and Black Podcast. And we are back to do it all again in 2019. It really, I've said this already in the intro, but it's really hard to believe that we started in 2009 and in 2019, it's the same four voices in front of these microphones delivering our uh, brand of Prince criticism and analysis and good natured humor and fun and all that kind of good stuff as well. So what are we here to talk about? Well, after doing this for 10 years, we've decided to start the new year off with a bang. And we're starting it off with a very special guest, one of our most popular, favorite, infamous Peach and Black episodes of all time is the one that we did in 2010. So you'd have to go back all the way to season two, only our second year, our 32nd show, where we spoke about meeting Prince back in 2010 in New York City. Many of you listening to this would already be very familiar with that story because you would have heard that episode. Some of our newer listeners may not be, so we encourage you to check that out, but we certainly encourage you to listen to this because we had a crazy meeting with the legendary man himself, Prince, and all the hijinks and hullabaloo that went along with that meeting. It was an absolute blessing. It almost didn't happen. And again, you have to go back to that episode to hear about all the shenanigans that went along with that journey. But Look, it was a fantastic opportunity, a meeting we'll never forget. We have to throw a quick shout out to uh, Kiran Sharma as well, who was super instrumental in making sure that that occurred. But also the guest of our show today, uh, on our show today, I should say, he was instrumental in many ways in making sure that everything went down safe. And uh, <laughs> we're going to get into all that. And yeah, it was an, a meeting we'll never forget, certainly. We've had a lot of feedback and correspondence from our um listeners over the years and even more recently asking us to revisit our meeting with Prince, asking us follow-up questions about, you know, what else happened? What didn't we talk about that occurred on that evening? Maybe doing a part two to our initial episode. So we thought what better way than to celebrate our 10 year anniversary and reflect on that meeting, but to invite along for the ride, a man who was actually present during that entire meeting, Prince's personal minder and security for the Welcome to America tour announcement, actor, writer, producer, and friend of the Peach and Black podcast, please welcome to the show, Mr. Nasa Metcalf. Uh, well, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm happy to be, uh, you, you invited me on, and uh, for those of you tuning in and wondering who I am and what my relevance is to this particular program. My name is Nasser Metcalf. I was uh, Prince's bodyguard and personal security for the second half of the year 2010. And uh, I got a chance to meet these guys uh, during my service to him. We'll get into that more later. I guess for us, it would be, would, would be really interesting to get a little bit more info about and a bit of insight and also for our listeners is a little bit more into your background. Like tell us a little bit about yourself type of question. Where were you born? And the early years, what were your formative <laughs> years like? Uh, my background is that I was uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois in the United States. I, um, 
came from a, a political family. My grandfather achieved prominence as an athlete, ran track in the 1932 and 1936 Olympics, and then went on to Congress uh, from there. So I came up kind of, you know, being able to understand like what we kind of came up having a sense of purpose, put it that way, that uh, in life, you know, it's not just about what you receive, but it's also about what you give. And so um, from there, I became enthralled in the arts and uh, my creative side. I determined at a pretty early age that I wanted to become an actor. Uh, I took my first acting class at the age of 14. And uh, I haven't really looked back since. Went on to attend college at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, where I majored in theater and earned my degree in theater from there. Uh, and moved to New York City shortly after that. Uh, along the way, while I was at Morehouse, I had also embarked on a career in stand-up comedy, which I did for about 10 years. Oh, what? This is news? Stand-up yeah. comedy? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll be talking about that later. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a whole, I have a whole background, man. A whole uh, another life uh, that you guys probably not even privy to. But anyway, uh, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, shared the stages with some of the guys who became ultimately top names in the business, household names. And, um, you know, it was an honor to come through the ranks with these guys. And uh, ultimately moved to New York City in the late 90s and embarked on my career as an actor. And uh, I haven't really been actively doing stand-up since then, but I uh, have been focusing more on acting, also some writing and directing and producing. But uh, yeah, man, that's kind of my story in a a nutshell. Uh, Yeah, it's been great. But, you know, along the way, I must say that I'm really grateful to you guys because throughout my entire life from, you know, probably in the earlier part of my childhood, Prince's music definitely played a huge role in my life. I was a major fan. I can recall my babysitter at the time uh, bringing home the Controversy album when it just came out. And uh, I was probably a little too young to hear some of the stuff that was on there at the time. But, <laughs> but, uh, but the, the brilliance and the profundity of it was undeniable. I, I was familiar with Prince up to that point. I mean, he had had hit records prior to that. Uh, and I'd seen him on television, heard his music on the radio. I knew who he was, but I hadn't really gotten into him until the Controversy album. But once that hit, I mean, you know, convinced my mother to buy me my own copy of that album. Then 1999 came after that. I had to get a copy of that. And I would just play these records like front to back, front to back. And, you know, 1999 was a double album. So I got to, you know, yeah. just keep, keep switching that disc out and playing whatever I want to hear. And, you know, to this day, I could probably quote every line, every note of every song on both of those albums. And then some after that from there, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, Parade, you know, a sign of the times. You know, as it just goes through the 80s, Prince was definitely, I kind of grew up with him uh, as I matured and got into my adolescence, my teenage years, my young adult years. His music played a big part in that. And uh, I'd never met him. I'd always wanted to meet him. And I thought one day perhaps I would meet him. I felt like we would probably hit it off if I ever did get a chance to meet him. And lo and behold, it ultimately happened one day. Yeah, he's he's known for his um, sense of humor. So I can see why you two would probably <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was definitely one of the things early on with he and I that I think maybe endeared him to me a little bit was that he definitely loved being a jokester, being a prankster of sorts himself. And he also loved people who can make him laugh. And I definitely made him laugh uh, on a number of occasions, you know, when we first started getting to know each other. And I think that's one of the things that made him say, I like being around this guy. You know, he 
can hang out. <laughs> uh, so just on the albums and uh, songs, do you have, like, if you were to go to a desert island, is there a particular album <laughs> oh, you take with you or it's Some song? of those famous questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> album would you take with you? <laughs> if, if, I, if I had to choose a Prince album to take with me, it would definitely have to be, well, it would have to be one of the double albums because if I could choose one, I have to, you know, get as much content as possible out of it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, good answer, good answer. So, so it would be between 1999 and uh, Sign of the Times. Oh, yeah. I, mm, that's, that's, that's so tough. But I probably have to lean a little bit more towards 1999 uh, nice. if I had to. Joe like yeah. that. That's his yeah. favorite so album. I, that's your favorite could album? Could not agree more. Could yeah, not agree yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's flawless from front to back. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that would be the one, 1999. My question is about, uh, you know, Prince was known for having security guards that were kind of more friends, like, you know, uh, Wally and Brooks and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these kind of guys. And Kirk. Kirk right. as well, yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, so so my question is, how did you become involved in security, you know, inverted commas, uh, for Prince? Right, right. It was an interesting story. I mean, in a nutshell, we were introduced by uh, our dear mutual friend, Shelby J. So hey. uh, Shout out to Shelby. Shelby J, she's got a, she's got a new song out right now. That's yeah, what you know absolutely. about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want everybody to know about it. Actually, um, you should all go to iTunes and download Shelby's new single, God Is Here. Uh, it is um, deeply inspirational, very moving. It's something I think Prince would be very, very proud of um, as he, you know, totally adores Shelby and, um, you know, loves her work and, and her voice. And uh, she wrote this song. She performs this song so passionately. I think everybody will really enjoy it. So it's called God Is Here. It's on iTunes. Uh, everybody go out there and get that now. And it's good to hear she's all, is she all good now? Oh, yeah. Shelby's doing well. She's doing great. She's doing great. Yeah. You know, she just keeps working on some great new music. So I just want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to hear it because, uh, you know, she and some of the others, you know, from MPG, everybody's carrying on a legacy now. So uh, the, Yeah, the, the, like the, Donna's the, got the, new music. Ada's got new music. It's all happening now. Exactly. Exactly. That's what he prepared them for. You know, that's what he taught them to do. I think in his wisdom, he knew one day that, you know, they would be carrying on for him in his absence, Mm. you know, or the people he touched, the people he mentored. So, yeah, so it's all happening. But definitely, man, check out all that good music. But uh, definitely, I I have a really strong connection with Shelby's new single, God Is Here. So I think everybody really enjoyed that one. Chance to listen to it. Go and get it. Go and buy it. That's it. Okay. Back to the story. Yes, sir. <laughs> so Shelby and I have known each other for a number of years. I've known her since before she ever met Prince and started working with Prince. I have a number of musician friends in and around New York City and, uh, and other places as well. Uh, I have another partner of mine named Martin Luther, who's a well-known musician, guitarist. Hi. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. He uh, and I went to Morehouse together. We were at the same dorm freshman year, all that. So he and I go way, way, way back. So Shelby had actually started working with him around, I'd say, 2004, 2005. And so I would always attend his shows whenever he was in New York. And Shelby became a part of his show. And uh, we just all, you know, would hang out. And Shelby and I both being Virgos and both having just a lot of common ground. We just hit it off, man. So fast forward a few years, she had started working with Prince and become a part of Prince's Circle and his band and, you know, one of his uh, definitely go-to artists that he loved to collaborate with. And uh, and, and they developed a great friendship and, and brotherhood and sisterhood of their own. So Shelby's coming in town uh, with uh, Prince in the MPG for a private performance for Time Magazine. We hung out the night before. Prince hadn't gotten in town yet. And, you know, she introduced me to the rest of the members of the band and people from the camp. And uh, just, you know, just a friend hanging out. 
Uh, the next day, Prince is coming in town and they called an emergency meeting. And apparently Prince had become disgruntled with his previous uh, security detail for some reason. The details of that, I'm really not privy to exactly why, but um, apparently that was the case. And he was on his way into town, and had no security. So they were scrambling to try and find somebody. So they asked Shelby, uh, they were trying to fly some people in. They asked Shelby if uh, she knew anybody locally, maybe had a little size on them, could throw in a suit and perhaps play the role for just a <laughs> night at least. And Shelby's like, I think I might know somebody who might actually fit the bill. So uh, she hit me up and asked me what I want to do it. And uh, she told me the, the, all the specs and the details. And I said, well, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, who doesn't? You know, I never yeah. met before. I'd seen him in, in concert a few times, but I never, you know, so I breathed the same air as him, but I had never met him before. I'd never been in the same, you know, presence. I never made eye contact with him or had conversation with him or, you know what I mean, anything. Um, and, and who wouldn't want to do that? So I was like, yeah, and I get to watch his back, make sure he's good. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, and it's a favor to you, my dear sister. Absolutely. Whatever. You know, it just made sense on so many levels. It's definitely a right place, right time. Yeah, situation there. He, yeah, he just finished up with his previous security and then you're there ready to go. I mean, it just worked out that he happened to be coming to New York of all places where yeah. I live and um, and needed this service for just this one event. And yeah, everything just aligned. Uh, and I don't believe their mistakes. And he didn't believe that either. That was one of the first things he and I discussed uh, the first night I met him was that, you know, these things don't happen randomly. There's mm-hmm. a, an alignment that's meant to happen you know, in certain times and spaces for certain reasons. And that's what I think happened between he and I. So, you know, I showed up and uh, reported for duty. And uh, next thing you know, uh, I'm standing in front of the Hudson Hotel waiting for his car to pull up. And uh, and he pulls up and he hops out and there he is. That's Prince. You know, those, 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 those same eyes that used to uh, look at me from the um, controversy. 1999, yeah, the controversy <laughs> album cover, or, or 1999. If you know the disc, you know it's his eye in the in the middle of the disc on the on the album on the vinyl. So um, yeah. you know, I would I would see those those eyes are just always so were always so striking. And um, and then when they were finally like looking at me for the first time in person, I was like, oh man, here's this prince, yeah. like it's him, you know, and those big uh, doe eyes, right? Exactly. <laughs> And so uh, I was like, wow, and it's him. So I uh, introduced myself to him and told him who I was and why I was there. And they had, to, they had prepped him that they had somebody out there waiting for him. So he knew to expect me. And, um, you know, I just got him up to his room and uh, got him settled. And I stayed on post and I stayed on point. And um, next thing you know, we're at the uh, Lincoln Center. And uh, he's, you know, getting ready to perform. And Shelby's there and everybody's there. And it's just an amazing experience. But at one point, uh, I will say this in his dressing room backstage at Lincoln Center and I'm standing outside of it and he's asking me to, you know, can you tell this person to come see me? Can you ask this person to do this? Can you ask this? You know, so I'm kind of like his liaison to like the rest of the people out there and um, there's a piano actually in his dressing room. I don't know if that's part of his rider or it was coincidence or whatever, but he decides he wants to do a few licks on the piano, but the piano has a cover over it. So he goes on one side of the piano and he starts trying to take the cover off. And I kind of look inside the dressing room while I was giving him his space. I wasn't trying to, you know, invade his privacy. And so I stood outside the dressing room. I could see him uh, wrestling with this side of the cover on the piano, on one side of the cover of the piano. So I just kind of took it upon myself to enter his dressing room and help him. And I grabbed the other side of the piano and helped him uncover the piano. 
Well, you know, right then and there, like the story could have ended for me. Possibly. If you have the Prince, if you have, that's the ultimate Prince story. Like I helped Prince uncover a piano that he was about to play. Like you could eat off of that story for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? so, <laughs> it could have really ended right there, but it didn't. That music wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me. So. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we're hanging out uh, in his dressing room, just making sure everything is everything. And he's, um, like I said, assigning me with a few tasks here and there. And, um, at one point, you know, we just started talking and, and then we had that conversation that I just alluded to earlier about there not being any mistakes and that uh, we trust in the creator to guide us where we need to be guided and to uh, align us with the people we are to be aligned with at the time we're supposed to be aligned with. And we just kind of go with that. And so it gave him he and I an opportunity to kind of discuss our uh, spiritual sensibilities, which, of course, was really major for him and is very large in my life as well. And we found that we had some good common ground on that. And I think that was the first inkling of he and I starting to connect and starting to form a bond and starting to embark on our uh, what would ultimately become a, a, a really close friendship and, um, and brotherhood of sorts. So just going back to the first time when he, when he got out of the car and he was right there in that first meeting, mm-hmm. what were you feeling? Because, yes, he's just a guy. Yes, he's an amazing guy but right. were you nervous or were you you, you were just playing it cool oh man because <laughs> he's, he's got this, this energy yeah. he's got this energy it doesn't matter oh, how cool you try to question. be prince has this question. energy and this larger than life yeah absolutely i mean you you well you know i mean you, you you've been around the man so it was like okay so first of all as i'm waiting for his car to arrive for some reason as i knew that that energy was getting closer to me this weird thing was happening all of his songs were like playing like loudly in my head, like on rotation, like just, and they would go back and forth. It was mm-hmm. just like this, this Prince mixtape was, <laughs> was <laughs> constantly playing overhead, you know, whether it was a door or whether it was a uh, little red Corvette, whether it was, uh, yeah. you know, I wonder you like just, it was just all these different songs that just kept coming. And I'm like, Jesus, this man has a great body of work. You know, <laughs> just, that was just coming to, <laughs> to me, but I knew he was about to pull up any minute. And then once he did, it was like, yeah, like, wow, this is really him. I had a similar thing when we were sitting in Lex Bar and we were all talking mm-hmm. and laughing, but just like somewhere like in the middle of that hour or whatever it was, we were sitting there 90 minutes. At one point, it just went straight to my head that, and I'm looking at him and he's talking and just in my brain, it's like, this is the guy that wrote, you know, composed, recorded, arranged, Little Red mm-hmm. Corvette. Like right. for some reason, that song just, and I'm like, that's the sure. guy right there. Just out of nowhere, right. I was I was cool and calm, but then out of nowhere, I'm just like, oh, oh, he's uh-huh. right, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, yeah. I was fine again, but I just had these few seconds where I'm like, wow, this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 it kind of it, it, it kind of strikes you from time to time. I mean, even during my time uh, in service uh, with him over the months that I did it, um, you know, I would have those moments every now and then, like one of his songs are just, you know, random, like something like um, Let It Go from the Come album. You know what I mean? Like yeah, all man. those, like, like you know, the lesser known songs sometimes. But those of us who are big fans kind of might remember, you know, those would come out in my mind from time to time. So it was just mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So when I got him up to his room, it was a moment where I know we got on the elevator and like while we're in motion and I'm walking him from the car into the hotel, you know, through this nondescript area where there's more discreet like set of elevators and getting him up to his room and, you know, everything's in motion. So you kind of 
fluid and you're keeping your sensibilities about yourself, about who's around, making sure nobody, you know, notices him and, you know, wants to approach him too much or you want to just keep on point for all the other uh, variables and possibilities. But once we got on the elevator and it was kind of like a, a safe space of sorts and it was uh, just Prince and I and an, uh, another woman who was uh, working for him at the time. Uh, so the three of us were on the elevator and uh, it was kind of like this awkward, like just, you know, what do we say now? <laughs> but for me... It was like on the surface, like you said, I was calm, cool, collected, uh, smooth veneer, just, you know, professional, everything on the surface. It wasn't you know, like but, a who farted moment, was it? No, 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 not quite. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not this time. We're in the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Not this time. Um, that would be crazy. Yeah, that would have been a great first impression for me to make with <laughs> <laughs> it. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Prince. I, I'm really nervous. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sorry, Prince. It was the beans from lunch. I'm sorry, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that vegetarian food you're making me eat. <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean... You you know, it was um, crazy, it, it, but it was like I was so calm and collected on the surface. But inside, I was like, man, this is Prince. Look, that's him right there. That's, that's, that's really Prince. That's him. Wow. Like, that's him. Because you have to understand, I mean, it's not just his celebrities. It's not just his fame and his stature that he was just this big superstar. I mean, that's a big deal for a lot of people. It's really that his music had meant so much to me throughout my entire life from, like I said, childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, adulthood, like all my, every stage of my life, you know, his music was present. And, um, you know, numerous songs that I could relate to certain periods in my life where I was going through certain things or dealing with certain things. And I could, you know, re recall some of his songs that were a part of that and were just congruent with, you know, this development of me in my entire life. So to be with the man who kind of came up with this, and this is such an incredible, vast and diverse body of work. You know, that it's just like, man, I, I'm, I was just really amazed at not so much at the man, not so much at the celebrity, but at the artist, you know, the creative being that I was in the midst of now who created all this incredible stuff that, you know, just meant so yeah. much to me over the years. So you were clearly a fan of his, right? But one of the question? things that, I was, that I'm, I'm wondering about is did he know that you were a fan or how much of a fan you were? Because, you know, you're basically looking after him, uh, protecting him, making sure everything goes smoothly. But does he ever get a gist of your um, fandom? Later on, later on. I mean, I never really like gushed to him like, oh man, and I really loved it when you came out with da -da -da -da, and then in time you, <laughs> you said da -da -da, and then like, oh man, this song is, a, you know, because one thing about Prince, you know, he always, he appreciated the foundation of work that he sat upon, but he was never one to rest on his laurels. He always was looking forward creatively in every other way and how to, like, what was the next great song? You know, you asked him, uh, what's your favorite song? He's uh, He'll say, I haven't written it yet. And uh, yeah. he, so he was always looking forward to what, so talking about his past body of work, even as significant as it was and as much as it meant to me and so many others, he wasn't big on talking about that, but there were some moments and opportunities where I got a chance to, you know, reflect to him about like moments like, oh man, I remember I saw you in this concert and this happened and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I was, he told me about it from his perspective and we'd talk about that. Or, um, you know, I pointed out to him that, um, you know, I felt like he had kind of prophesized because uh, I was with him in 2010. So this was like two years after Obama had gotten elected. So I told him he had, pro he had kind of prophesied Obama's election. And um, all the critics love you in New York, I believe it is. Um, it's time for new direction. It's time for jazz to die. Fourth day of November, we need a purple high. 
And so I was looking at jazz as like a metaphor, not only jazz, the, the musical art form, because I know he loved Miles Davis. He loved Duke Ellington. He loved, he loved actual jazz. But I think he was, you know, at that time using it as a metaphor for some old guard, some previous way of being. And Barack Obama at that time had represented this whole new way of viewing the presidency and this whole hope and change thing, that new direction that we were going in and the person of color becoming president of the United States for the first time and all this kind of stuff. So, and Obama was actually elected on November 4th. 2008. So, so it's like fourth day of November. We need to propose. So it's like, you know, as I was pointing out, he didn't even realize he had done, he was, he was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that does kind of you know, make sense. That, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe he, he was Nostradamus and he was like predicted this stuff. That he was like, but he, he's like, no, oh yeah, that's right. That did kind of happen like that. But like that night, that first night I worked for him, when all was said and done, the, the night kind of ended like the next morning when I um, had to take him to breakfast. So shortly before I was parting ways with him, I had um, we'd done a number of different things that night. We hung out after the performance. We went to a jam session at uh, Village Underground and all this kind of stuff. And I had to just take care of this, that, and the other thing for him. Uh, the next day, I'm about to part ways with him. And so I thought to say to him, I said, listen, sir, uh, I have to tell you, your music has really been the soundtrack to my life. Uh, I want to thank you for that. And I wanted to say it's been an honor working with you. Um, and perhaps our paths will cross again sometime in life. And he just looked at me. He said, oh, I'm sure they will. And I was like, okay, whatever. That okay. Means. I mean, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I was just supposed to be for one night. I was just filling in. You know, it wasn't like I was interviewing for a position and here we go. I'm moving forward. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It was just like, hey, can you pinch it for a night? And so I was like, yeah, sure. So when that was over, I just thought that was the end of it. You know, now I have, you know, now I've met Prince, crossed that off the bucket list, you know, and life continues. But uh, I guess because the void was there and the opening position was, was open and he liked, you know, how he and I vibe and connected what he saw in me and my work at that time that, um, you know, he, he invited me ultimately to come on board. And that was how I started. <laughs> so you spent a, a considerable amount of time with him that second half of 2010. So I'm sure you have a lot of favorite stories and your time working with him. Are you able to expand on that? Like some of your favorite moments with Prince? Sure. I mean, there's a number of them. Uh, but I mean, far too many to probably mention in this one sitting, but, the, uh, you know, perhaps more than be, be, can be told at another time. But I think one of my favorite stories was when I um, played basketball with him. Oh, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> now you, got the height, you got the height advantage there, so I want to hear this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's good. Prince is good. It made no difference. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. My height advantage made no difference. So I'm 6'2", and we all know Prince was, you know, a little more diminutive in stature. But, you know, fast forward, I'm on board now. I'm working for him. I'm in Minneapolis, staying at the Country Inn Suites like everybody else did who worked for him. And uh, when we were in Minneapolis and uh, one day I'm showing up to go to work, you know, I'm doing stuff at Paisley every day with him. And I'm showing up to go to Paisley one day and, and uh, his manager calls me and said, oh, by the way, Prince asked you to bring tennis shoes with you when you come to, to work today. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, I know what that means. So I'd seen the court. I knew he liked to play. I knew I was like, oh, OK, we're going to play ball today. Here we go. And it was a Saturday afternoon. And so um, I, I was prepared, you know, I had packed because I thought this moment might happen. So because uh, he's legendary for this. So I had packed uh, my, my high top Adidas, you know, basketball shoes. I had uh, my, my Morehouse T-shirt, my basketball shorts like I had. I was ready. you know. So, yeah. So I came in with all that stuff in a bag. 
And uh, but I would always wear a suit whenever I was in his presence and work in, in work capacity. So I had my suit on when I showed up, but I had all this stuff ready for. So yeah, showed up and you know we converse about this, that, and the other thing, and take care of this particular piece of business, that particular piece of business. And eventually he goes, "All right, so did you bring your tennis shoes?" <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, I did." So he's like, "All right, go, go go change into them so we can you know go play." So I didn't want to mess my suit up, so I go to the big bathroom right at the front of Paisley, the public bathroom. So I change out of my suit and uh, I uh, throw on, uh, you know, my, my gear and I come back out and Prince sees me like all ready to, <laughs> he just kind of, and my, and my teacher says Morehouse. And he's like, oh, it's okay. And he like looked at me and like nodded his head in approval and smiled and like lit up like, okay, okay, I see you. All right. So, um, so we go to the court to play and it's, it's three of us. It's Prince, myself, and his manager at the time, uh, Kieran. So, <laughs> Kieran, that's hilarious you know, yeah yeah Kieran, Kieran, is a, Kieran Bolt yeah well, no not 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 really but <laughs> I mean that's, that's all it's like to her it's just not it's just never was her thing but asking us to do it yeah and so you know here's a uh this this woman who doesn't really have much experience playing basketball but she's a, g- a great sport she's she's game for whatever she's definitely down to try and give it a shot so uh we're all just shooting around and uh, just kind of tossing the ball here and there and throw, taking a few shots. And I'm taking a few shots. And I got a pretty decent – I'm not a big phenom on the basketball court. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. You know, like you said, I got a little height. So um, I, I have a decent jump shot. That's my biggest weapon in, in basketball is, like, my jump shot, right? Um, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not – I'm no LeBron or Jordan or anything like that in any other way, shape, or form. But, but I'm decent. You know? um, so – uh, he's watching me, you know, from time to time, and I'm taking my shots, and I'm sinking a few J's, and it's working out okay. And uh, he's just like incredible. He's just taking shots from everywhere, just, just all net, you know. So I'm like, this dude is like really good. And this is home court too, so he knows that he could probably take these shots in the dark, you know. It's like he's been playing on this court for years, so and and sink all net. So eventually, I saw he was like, uh, you know. I don't think I could play any defense, so now nah, I don't think about twenty-one. But oh, let me let me say this: before we started talking about what game we would play, uh, he asked me a question because he observed how I was playing, and so he he said, "Nasser, are you left-handed or right-handed?" And I said, "Well, uh, my mother told me that when I was a baby, I was kind of ambidextrous, but I've kind of gravitated more towards my right hand. So I'm officially right-handed, but I have some capabilities with my left hand because I could dribble a bit with both hands. Right? He saw me dribbling with my left and my right, but when it came time to shoot, I shoot exclusively." especially my jump shot, I shoot exclusively with my right hand. And so when he learned that piece of information, he was like, oh, okay, cool. So then when we're talking about what we're gonna, what kind of game we're going to play, you want to play a game of, um, there's a game in basketball called Horse. I don't know if you're familiar, but anybody who's listening who's unfamiliar, it's like a round robin kind of tournament where everybody who's involved takes a shot and then the other person, you have a rotation and the other person tries to replicate the shot that they made. And if you can do that successfully, then you earn a letter. And the first letter is H. And then you do it a sec- successfully a second time. The second letter is O. And you keep doing that until you go through the game. The first horse person to get horse, uh, which is five letters, so that means makes five successful uh, shots where you replicate somebody else's shot. And then, you know, you um, then you win. You know, so the, the, the challenge is to do a, a shot that's difficult enough that somebody else can't replicate. Or if you're good enough that you can replicate whatever the other person's shot is, then you have the advantage. So that's the competition, right? That's the, the objective of the game. Well, we didn't want to stay there all day. We had other stuff to do. So we didn't really want to play a game of horse and get five letters. So we decided to abbreviate it and we called the game Sky. Prince said to call the game Sky. Uh, so it would only be three letters that we have to, <laughs> have to get. So the 
game could be a little shorter. So the rotation wound up being that Prince had to replicate Kieran's shots. Kieran had to replicate my shots. And I had to replicate Prince's shots. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You worked that out well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow that worked out that way. So uh, so we're playing. And, you know, Kieran is doing her best. God bless her. You know, she's she's, she's, uh, just such a game sport that day. And uh, she told me later that she didn't even have tennis shoes that day. She didn't even have sneakers. She, um, but Prince had a pair <laughs> that fit her, and he loaned them to her so she could play. <laughs> so she had no excuse to not play. So I think uh, we got to get Kieran on here sometime, and she's got to tell us about these this basketball game <laughs> okay. she, from she her point have, of view. <laughs> oh my God, she would ha- she would have some amazing stories for you. I'm sure. Uh, one day. Yeah, one day. But uh, shouts out to Kieran Sharma. Um, yeah. At any rate, yeah. so. So we're playing, and of course, Prince is having no problem replicating Kieran's shots. I mean, she wasn't making very many of them, so he was just like doing his best to, you know, just do whatever she did. Kieran's not, you know, really replicating my shots so well, and everything's just kind of going as you would expect it to go. But of course, when it came time for Prince to make his shots that I needed to replicate, having found out my handicap, Prince exclusively made left hand shots. <laughs> and not- <laughs> And, and and not only did he make left hand shots, every time he would he would shoot, he would call it out. As soon as he would release the ball, left hand, <laughs> and it would <laughs> and it would be all net. And it would be it would just go each shot. Every shot would always go in. It'd be all net all day. And I know. So of course, when it's my time to replicate that, he knows I can't shoot with my left that well. And so I'm trying to do my best. Like okay, so he's making sure left hand. Like don't even think about trying to replicate the shot with your right. You have to do this with your left. So I'm like ah, all right. So um, so I go and I I do my best. But of course, they all missed and and Prince won the game. So my height advantage. Man, that, was, that game was uh, rigged. <laughs> yeah, well, he found a way to neutralize my height advantage, that's for sure. But, uh, but he was that, that, that's Prince. He's smart. He's so smart. He would always just be, you know, several steps ahead on the chessboard without question in, in, in everything, in anything he did. So He's watching, you know. analyzing, how can I get this to my advantage? <laughs> without question, you know. I mean, you know, this is a man who changed his name to an unpronounceable symbol in order to, <laughs> you know, gain leverage with the record label he was trying to get out of a contract with. It's like, man, who, who thinks to do that? Don't you know, uh, even get me started on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one example, well, but yeah. his brilliance is not limited just to music by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. And he fed it too. He would always, he was an avid reader. So he always looking to learn. He loved watching documentaries. Um, he loved anything that he could learn something from that he didn't know about previously. Did Did you ever pick up any books or uh, films or anything while you were working with him? Did you guys talk about any of that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were in LA and we visited like a um, a bookstore, like a, a spiritual bookstore, and we shopped around in there. It was just he and I, and uh, looked around at this place, and I was amazed. It was like pretty crowded, and nobody really noticed him in there except for one little old lady wound up approaching. <laughs> I mean, a little old lady. And uh, she goes, oh. And you jumped in front of her. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Calm down, calm down. (laughs) I I, I, might have needed to, but uh, she was so sweet. And uh, she comes up, she's like, hi, uh, my granddaughter is a big, big fan. I was wondering, can I get your autograph for her? (laughs) And Chris was very nice. He was very gracious. uh, And he smiled. He said, I'm sorry, but I don't sign autographs. And she's like, oh, okay. She was so disappointed. She's like, but she's a big fan. She's a big, big fan. 
Now, look at this lady. The world is a big, big fan. Like, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. doesn't distinguish her in any way, shape, or form. Like, I get it, but he, he, you know, he he doesn't he didn't want to sign autographs um, under any circumstances. So, and I got it. And so I was, she was nice about it, and she took the L, and she walked away. And so mm-hmm. um, it was moments like that. But yeah, but he loved uh, books. He had asked me to, you know, look for a couple of things that he was. Uh, interested in, in getting when we were in that store and then there were times we discussed certain films we, we had discussed a film called green pastures it's from 1939 and uh it stars this uh actor named rex ingram a uh, notable black actor of that period and it's the first actual major motion picture that has an entirely african-american cast and it tells the story of the old testament bible uh, but from the perspective of the black experience at that time. So it's really interesting. It's a classic piece wow, of cinema. I yeah. mean, it, yeah, it, no, it, it goes down in history. It's, 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 it's uh, recognized by uh, cinema scholars all over the world as, you know, a landmark piece of cinema. So Prince and I had a discussion about that film and he was familiar with it. Hadn't seen it in a while. And uh, on the DVD that was out around that time of that film, they had released it. MGM, I think, had released it. They had also, as a bonus feature, released a short film called uh, Rufus Jones for President. And that film starred a, I believe, six-year-old Sammy Davis Jr. Wow, that's, yeah. Yeah. And um, Sammy's, like, doing all his singing and dancing. And we were talking about how in that film, it was crazy because as a child, you know, Sammy was introduced in the show business from such an early age. He was so proficient with his singing and dancing and acting and all that. He was just like prodigious with it. Um, and, and watching him work at this early age was um, was really interesting. But we also talked about how big his head had gotten at that point, but his body hadn't quite caught up with his head. So, <laughs> so, so in this film, Rufus Jones for President, Sammy Davis, almost it almost looks like his head is CGI onto this little kid's body. <laughs> <laughs> so Prince and I had like jokes about that, about how big Sammy's head looked in this film. So, you know, we talked about that. So that when I got, that was when I was in Minneapolis with him. So I got back to New York. I knew of a video store that I got my copy of that DVD from. And I went back there and they actually had another copy of it. So I copped another copy of that and I gifted it to him the next time I saw him. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, a, it was a legit studio copy. It, was a, it, was, it wasn't a bootleg. It was a legit copy. Okay. Okay. But, uh, okay. But I get to that. So, you know, it's like things we had had conversation about. I, you know, would go get some stuff and and bring it to him. So, like, we had a conversation about um, John Henry Clark, which is an African-American scholar of note who Prince had tremendous admiration for. And I'd come across a DVD. Now, this one might have been a bootleg, but it was (laughs) one of the vendors on like 125th Street had a DVD of uh, uh, John Henry Clark in a debate with Cornell West. And it's from mm-hmm. like maybe the early 90s. And it was a pretty intense debate uh, on this DVD. And Prince was really into this type of stuff. People don't realize, you know, how intellectual and uh, how forward thinking he was when it came to these types of things. But he was very much into um, learning and learning about things that he previously, you know, didn't know about. He was very much about expanding himself. So I got that DVD. I got the Green Pastures DVD. Then we had also had a conversation about... Um, the Beatles while I was at Paisley at one point. This is like separate conversations. And uh, we talked about how, you know, incredible songwriters they were. And um, I was telling him how Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was my favorite Beatles album. And Mm -hmm. he was like, you know, saying how great their work was in that way. And we had discussions about that. And uh, so I also found a copy of the um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band CD. And so I got those three items, the Green Pastures DVD, the John Henry Clark Cornell West uh, debate, and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. 
CD. And I put all those together. And the next time I saw Prince, when he came to New York, and I was about to, we had done all the running around we were supposed to do and everything that was on the agenda. And then I was supposed to take him to the airport. And uh, I said, by the way, sir, I got you a couple of things. And so I had them all like in a little pile in my hand. I just passed it to him. And he flipped through them. He saw, he's like, oh, wow. Oh, this is nice. Oh, wow, that's great. And then the Beatles CD, he looks at it. He's like, oh, I already have this. And he gave it back to me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I now have an extra copy of this. I have my own copy, so I didn't need an extra copy. Of it. But, you know, should have figured he might have had that already. But because we had talked about it, I thought maybe he needs to revisit this. I don't know if he has his own copy mm. of this or not. But the other two, he he, he really enjoyed it. He took and, um, you know, he, he just handed the other one back to me. But when we were a few weeks later, uh, we were in Los Angeles and Prince sat Shelby and I down in his room, in his suite. And he went into the bedroom. He sat Shelby and I down in the living room and put in the John Henry Clark versus Cornell West DVD and popped that in and just made us sit down and watch the whole thing, just the two of us. And like it was classes <laughs> in session. So, yeah. so Shelby and I sat and watched that. It was good. It was it was enlightening. That's for sure. It's interesting you mentioned the Beatles. I'm I'm wondering over the time that you spent with him, was there ever a moment that he brought up some artist or band or you know musical performer that? you were surprised to hear him talk about, you know, someone that, you know, we all know that he was a massive James Brown fan, Sly and the Family Stone, Hendrix, all that sort of stuff. But did he ever right. reference or talk about, you know, acts that people might be surprised to hear him being um, into? You know, I don't think any of it, I wouldn't have found any of it too surprising because he was the ultimate craftsman when it came to music. So regardless of genre, if somebody was notable and proficient or, you know, had a superior talent when it came to music, I could see him having respect for them. I think, you know, there are certain artists who get certain accolades that he didn't feel was necessarily deserve that they were deserving of. And, you know, he might have some opinions about that, but he loved real music by real musicians. So whether it's like, you know, we'll get to that night, we all hung out, but like when it's like we're going to the groove and seeing those guys, Leonard and those guys oh, yeah. perform, you know, they're not household names. They're not like big major superstars on the scene. They're gigging at a funky club in New York, you know, on a regular basis. And it, but they're amazing. I mean, they're incredible. Mm. They're such a high energy show. Um, so he would rather go see that than go to like an arena of 70,000 people to see a certain artist. I won't mention any names right now, but to see, say, certain artists who, you know, have a huge following who are major celebrities and whatnot, but he doesn't necessarily respect their artistry. So I wouldn't have found it surprising uh, mm. any particular musician that he would have been into. But at the time when I was around him, that's when Janelle Monet was just starting to kind of come out and make a name for herself. So he was really, really into her at the time. He'd sit us down and make us watch, you know, her appearance on David Letterman, which he had on the DVR. So we're sitting down in a little kitchen at Paisley and um, he's like, oh, I got something to show you. And, you know, he's exposing us to that. And I, and I was familiar with Janelle already, but I was like, oh yeah, definitely. But to hear him talk about her, he was really like invested into her career and her development and all that she was doing around that time. So that was great to see. Other than that, it was another moment. I, I guess one thing that might've been kind of surprising was uh, there was a, a moment when I was at Paisley with him and somebody... I don't remember who it was. Somebody bought him a, a, a framed picture of uh, George Benson. And uh, George Benson had signed the picture to him, had autographed the picture to him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, George Benson, you know, all due respect. I mean, he's an amazing guitarist. Uh, I love, you know, Give Me the Night. I love, you know, all these, a lot of different songs that he's made. Like, um, just the two of us, he's, he's made some incredible music. I mean, without question, I give George Benson all the respect in the world. But then, then, you know, but in my mind, I'm like, but this is Prince. I mean, you know, nobody really compares to Prince in terms of, you know, 
proficiency, body of work, musicianship, like there's like levels to it, you know? So, but man, when Prince got this framed picture of George Benson, he was so excited. I mean, it was almost like a kid getting like a picture of like his favorite, you know, superhero or something like that, a cartoon mm-hmm. character. So he's like, he was just really stoked about getting this framed picture of George Smith signed to him personally. And I'm like, man, like that was a little surprise. Like that, like I said, there's nothing against George Benson, but I mean, this, this is Prince, you know, I thought, you know, stuff like this, he probably got all the time <laughs> yeah. from people, but he cherished that thing. He cherished that picture and he gave it to me. And this was my one time getting close to the vault. He told me to put it down by the vault. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, and you're like, you sure you don't want me to go inside and put it? In the right. right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It was it was spooky down there. It was kind of eerie, you know. So I took it. He was like, just leave it outside the door of the vault. I was like, all right. So I went down to where the vault was. It's down this little staircase, mm-hmm. and the carpeting on the walls is uh, the uh, carpeting on the stairs is black. The walls are black. Everything's black, and then it's like a black light that kind of lights up the little area there and yeah. the door to the vault is painted black. Everything was black. It was just, and it was so quiet because it was down in this basement. So any, it was sealed off from any other activity in the building. So it was eerily quiet and completely dark. And it was just like this very serene, very, I don't know, isolated mm-hmm. space. I was just about to say, like, I was down there in 2000. And even though I was with about 12 people, it's still so quiet down there. It is right. a bit spooky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, I was kind of amazed at how able, how vastly different it was able to, the energy shifted in that area of the space mm. versus the rest of the energy of the rest of Paisley Park. Because you got performance space over here, yeah. you got sound stages, you have rehearsal space, you have recording studios, you have, you know, hustle and bustle of activity, you got cleaning crews around who are like keeping the place clean. You got the doves upstairs that are cooing and all, you know, so it's just all this amount of energy and activity and hustle and bustle going around. But then you turn that corner and go down those little staircase to where the vault was, and it's just like, you know, just complete desolation. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Could you smell the funk? <laughs> you can't help but to smell the funk. there's some great stories thanks uh one of my questions is is more to do with the actual requirements that prince had of you in terms of your security work um what were some of prince's requirements or requests of you on a more work basis um you know with prince being security for prince you know some of my people who, who, who know me you know throughout my life that they would learn that i did security for some of them know until after the fact some of them didn't know until after he passed you know, you don't broadcast your relationship with him. He's very private. So a lot of my people will learn, they're like, you? You know, when I think of security, I think of like a different type. I think of somebody like really, really big, like a mountain of a man. Like I'm, you know, I got a little size on me. I'm 6'2", 200 or so. But, I, you know, so I'm, I'm good. But I mean, security types, you think of like, you know, these massive types, uh, like the mountain on Game of Thrones or something like that. <laughs> you know, somebody with that type of physical stature is what a lot of people you know, first think of with security. But with Prince, it's less about the physical and more about the mental. So for me, what I would need to do in a lot of cases, if we were going someplace, you know, he's not the type where people are after him and you're going to have to have fights to protect him and all this kind of stuff. You might just have to protect him from people wanting to show him so much love all the time, you know, just kind of keep that in check. But it was more like I would have to advance places. So advancing entail, say we're going to a club. He wants to hang out at this club. Well, I would go to the club first. And if I knew somebody from there, whatever, I could call ahead and let them know, then we'd get everything set up. If not, I could just show up to almost any club, any venue, anywhere, and i just drop his name. I mean, there was a Mary J. Blige concert in like full swing going on, and uh, he wanted to go. 
He had just gotten in town. He found out about it. He wanted to go. I had no idea who was there, who to talk to. About I just showed up at the side door and I used his name. And next thing you know, within an hour, he was there. I had him, you know, set up on the side. So, you know, it was just the ultimate access card saying Prince wants to come here. And uh, people would just roll out the red carpet. So I would show up. I would connect with the security from the venue. Uh, and those would be like the big guys. <laughs> you know, those would be the like the, you know, really strong, imposing physical types. So I would talk to them. We would set up a space for him to be in. I would scope out how we were going to bring him in, what the route was going to be from the door to where we were getting him to his spot that he was ultimately going to land in, how we were going to get him out of there once all was said and done, if it was going to be the same area. You know, some places we could walk him through the front door, we could get him right there. Some places we tried to get him through a side door, through, you know, kitchen or something like that, depending on the nature of the space. And then also I had to scope out the bathrooms because if you need to go to the bathroom, I need to know where they were, how far they were from where he was going to be sat or positioned and what it would take to get them. Then I would try and see if I could get them to designate, you know, at least one guy from their staff to kind of stick with me and stick with Prince, stick with us. So if Prince wanted to ask me to go see about setting up somewhere else for us to go after this place, I could tell this guy, listen, stand right here. Just make sure everything's good. You know, I have to go outside of Twitter. So it would just be stuff like that. You just have to, it was more about coordinating and um, choreographing entrances and exits and uh, things of that nature when they came out. And I suppose you got a briefing about trying to keep photographers away as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. interesting. Like, after he passed, I kind of found, like, man, as much time as I spent with him, there's hardly any pictures of he and I. There's only one that I know of uh, that I'm aware of that I have. And that one wasn't even supposed to be taken. But a large part of my job was to, he, he did not want his picture just randomly taken. He was not about that. He wasn't going to pose for pictures. He wasn't going to, like, he, it was a big part of my, my job to make sure people didn't randomly take, randomly take pictures. And if it started getting out of control, um, he would leave. Uh, he would just be like, it's getting crazy in here. Let's go. And, you know, those places we literally walked in and we were supposed to be set up there for the night and enjoy ourselves. And we would turn around and walk right back out because the people there just would not leave him alone. Um, there was a lot of times when we go places and people like they would notice he was there, but they would play it cool. You know, it's like, OK, this, this would be cool. It's Prince. OK. But then sometimes people would just be, you know, too excited. And next thing you know, it's like this can't continue. So we'd have to leave. Um, but, yeah, keeping people from taking this picture. <laughs> that was definitely a big part. And then sometimes it'd even be friends. You know, there was um, instances where we'd be someplace and, you know, one of his friends we acknowledged and had a nice conversation with and embraced and talked and so that. And then the guy comes back, like, hey, man, say hello to my lady and puts his phone up. And Prince is like, oh, whoa, whoa. And I had to like, hey, man, no, like, don't, don't, no, no photos, no, no cameras, no. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, so it was moments like that as well. You know, that was part of it. So you spoke about Prince's requirements of you in security, scoping out the venue and checking it out, making sure the bathrooms are tidy and all that sort of stuff. How much of that did you do before Lex Bar? So this is my segue into where, where we ah, kind of enter, enter the well, story. Was that, was that something well played, you did? Well played, sir. Yes. Tell us as uh, much as you nice. possibly can about what happened before that meeting. <laughs> okay. So that meeting, as you guys know, happened later on that evening after the press conference at the Apollo. And, uh, you know, he had been in town for a few days, doing a little running around on this, that, and the other thing. We had, uh, at photo sessions, we had gone to see some Broadway shows. We had done, you know, a number of different things. And this particular day, so we're getting ready for the press conference. So I got Prince ready for the press conference. I had advanced the Apollo before the press conference, uh, showed up there, made sure everything was set up for him. Uh, I thought I was going to 
attended with him at the last minute. He asked me to fall back. And so he went to the Apollo by himself just to drive her. But I had people in place to receive him there. So, you know, make sure that was all arranged. So then later that night, I knew he was going to want to do something. What I'd always known while I was working for Prince is like, always have something on deck. Like if I was, you know, kind of when I wasn't around him, when I wasn't, when he wasn't in town in New York or, you know, I was on my own, I would learn about things or try and figure out things. It's like, oh, okay, next time Prince is in town, this might be something good for him. This might, because he would just say, okay, so what's happening tonight? And I need to run down to him what was going on. So I had promoters and people that I knew that I would reach out to and find out they would kind of be my eyes and ears on the scene. And I would try and just always you know, make sure I had access to something decent on deck. So I had discovered the DJ that we went to go see, Calcutta. She had uh, done a party a few months prior to that with a, a good partner of mine um, named Dorian Missick. And he's a well-known actor and uh, he go, he's a DJ as well. And his DJ name is Tailwind Turner. And uh, there was a party for this film festival called Urban World Film Festival. And um, I think Kerry Washington was one of the hosts and things of this nature. Anthony Mackey, all these people were like part of the, the hosts of, of this particular party. And Dorian was spinning at this party. So I went with him and, um, and we're hanging out at this party. So Calcutta was actually spinning the set before Dorian at this same party. So I saw her. She played. She did this amazing Prince set. And I know he liked females. I know he liked female DJs. You know, she had a really interesting look that I feel he would, you know, appreciate just her whole package and that she was so in tune with his vibe and did, you know, such an amazing uh, set of his music. I said, oh, wow, she's somebody I want to, you know, make sure I know where she's spinning because he would probably appreciate, you know, going to hear her spin. So when uh, that party was over, uh, at some point I found her on social media and I reached out to her and just introduced myself, told her who I was and what the purpose was. I said, you know, I can't guarantee anything, but I just like to keep up with where you're going to be and, you know, places you're going to be spinning. And you let me know and I'll see if I can, you know, get him out sometime. She's a major Prince fan. So she was like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So between her social media and what she would let me know about from time to time, I knew she was she had this residency at the time at, at Lex Bar. So later that night, Prince hit me up and sure enough, what's going on in the city tonight? I said, well, you know, we have this, we have that then. And so when I mentioned female DJ at a lounge downtown, he was like, that's where we're going. I just had to give him those few little specs and he that's what we're doing. I was like, all right, cool. Let's set it up. So I spoke to her. I had advanced. I showed up over there earlier, spoke to the manager, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, but uh, I think Wendy, Was maybe. Crystal like that. from memory? Crystal. Something like that. I could look it up because I still have my old phone from those days, uh, all the text messages and stuff that I had to you know, send from. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so set up with her, set up with Calcutta. Uh, they had the area all designated for us right there by the DJ booth, as you recall. So then it was time to go. It was game time. And this is something that I had done with him numerous times at this point. So, you know, I kind of knew the, the way to do it. So, you know, he had a you know group of female friends who was hanging out with us that night. We got all of them together. And the first thing I would do is uh, go and um, we show, we all showed up in the limo. And I would walk Prince in first and got him set up, got him situated got one of the guys from the venue, the, their security, to sit with him because then I went back out and I walked and got the girls and walked them in. And so, you know, it was this is this is what I'm saying about choreography. If you think about it, if Prince was to mm. show up in a limo and hop out with a group of women and walk in the club, he's going to draw a lot of attention to himself. I mean, he's already Prince. He's already drawn a lot of attention to himself. But being kind of diminutive and whatnot, if he's by himself and we just kind of whisk in and out, People who are not really looking up and paying attention, they're not going to notice that Prince just walked in. Yeah. We can just kind of slide in real quick. You know, now, if the group of girls walk in first, then 
they might draw attention being a group of females. Guys might be checking them out, might be, and so they're drawing attention. So they are, so then they get marked and the people are paying them attention. Guys are looking their way. And then when our Prince comes to join them, like, oh, wow, and they're sitting there with Prince. So it's like, you know, it was a smart way to kind of choreograph it that he kind of dictated to me early on in my working for him that this is how we do things, where I would get him in first, kind of unnoticed, relatively unnoticed, uh, get him situated, settled mm-hmm. in this, you know, kind of side area. And then I go get the girls and then, you know, they come over there and then we got everybody kind of situated and, you know, you guys were there and, uh, and it worked out, you know, it worked out great. Uh, so that so, night, that night at Lex Bar, what was the, the brief on these two guys from Australia who mentioned to you that we were going to be there? Was it Prince or Kieran or somebody else? What did uh, they say think, to you about us? Oh, that's funny. Uh, I think the first inkling that I had, the first indication that I had of you guys were, was from, uh, Kim Barry. Uh, who was oh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah? Who was Prince's hairdresser at the time? So this is what you have to understand about the camp. Uh, with Prince, everybody you would have a designated title, but everybody did whatever needed to be done. So mm. just because you were his hairdresser doesn't mean all you did was his hair, and that was that. That was your primary responsibility. But you know, you had backup singers who would sew buttons on a shirt. You would have you know drummers who would mm. book flights. You would have you know, hairdressers who would choreograph going somewhere, you know, like, you know, calling the venue and, you know, so just everybody just kind of did whatever needed to be done. Um, you know, I was personal security, but at one point he had me kind of negotiating a deal with him with WBLS, his radio station in New York, to break a new single, you know, because I knew somebody over there and we were kind of going back and forth about that. It never wound up kind of happening the way in which we originally envisioned it, but, you know, it was still personal that you sometimes didn't even see in yourself. So if you had abilities in other areas that, you didn't necessarily uh, display right then and there. Sometimes he can say, "No, why don't you do this?" And you'd be surprised at like how effective you were at doing whatever it was that he asked you to do. That seems to be a common thread with pretty much anyone who's worked for Prince. It's like he'll always just ask you to do something, just to push yeah. you and make you do something different. Without question, um, he was very yeah. good about that. And, you know, he's very wise. He could see things that other people didn't see and it was just amazing to be a part of it but yeah so so kim let me know okay you got these two guys from australia here they got this uh peach and black pocket and i you know had my little notepad i would always make notes of things that i needed to be aware of and it's this podcast called peach and black and you know and you guys were only about a year strong at that time so i hadn't be honest with yeah. you i hadn't heard of you at that point but uh she was like um yeah so he you know he, he really likes these guys and uh they they had this podcast and i didn't realize the podcast was even dedicated to prince and his music at the time i was just like oh, okay maybe they do something interesting or whatever and he's like he's got these guys coming from australia and they're going to meet you at the bar one is named shane one is named rob i said all right so yeah that was the first inkling that I, as i recall that i heard of you guys because so it, it was, was a weird thing i mean we just got an email out of nowhere from kieran and it's like fancy a trip to new york and we're like what is this <laughs> <laughs> what what this isn't real no this isn't real what the hell is this right right uh-huh. and yeah it turned out it was <laughs> wow I, I can imagine this thing I can went over on a plane crazy yeah yeah uh, I, I can only imagine i mean you know and prince was great with that time. he was very very generous because i mean he, he flew you guys up and flew, flew you guys out and put you up on his dime, am I, am I correct? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. unbelievable. You, you know, and I mean, for him to do that, of course, we knew he's a man of means, but he didn't have to do that, you know. He, but it was, it was, it really spoke to, it really speaks to the type of person he was in terms of uh, the generosity of his spirit. You know, if he was with you, if he was feeling you and felt what you were doing or what you were about or what your efforts were, that 
I mean, he would give and give and give of himself uh, in whatever way he could to uh, to assist in that. Yeah, that was great. It's very beautiful gesture. Yeah, for, I mean, for us, it was absolutely crazy because you're right. It was pretty early in the history of our podcast, and mm-hmm. we just put this podcast together. You know, four Australians talking about Prince music and our love for the music, and mm-hmm. and putting a spotlight on on all of his amazing work. And then all of a sudden, we get this email from Kieran. And uh, to be fair, we had Kieran had been in touch with us before then anyway about other things, but we really didn't expect this. That email came out of the blue, and it was like two days before we met you there, you know, we were in Sydney, Australia, just doing our thing. And then two days later, jet lagged and, you know, we're in a hotel and waiting for the call, for the infamous call. And I think actually you called us from memory, either you called us or we called you because I remember talking to you on the phone first. Yeah, I do remember that. I do recall calling you. you I was like, I remember seeing myself, I said, I hope these guys are in their room because I I don't want to incur international <laughs> uh, an, Austra- an Australian cell phone and, and running you guys Australia. so I was like I hope we can make this a local call and I can get you guys in the room I remember thinking that to myself and yeah and I think that's when I called you and told you about Lex Bar and where to meet us and the address and how to get there and all that kind of stuff whatever the fun- yeah, funniest yeah. thing from waiting for that phone call because yeah. we didn't have like a cell phone that would work there we right. literally just was just sitting at a hotel for hours and hours and hours just waiting for somebody to call us wow. and tell us what wow. was happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you called, we probably picked it up on the first ring. It's like, yes, hello, what's this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, I'm waiting on him and him to tell me what to do. So, um, you know, I remember being in the in the car with the driver outside of it. He used to stay at the Ritz on um, Central Park South. And uh, I'm right out front of there with the driver and I'm just waiting on instructions, just waiting on, okay, so Prince wants to know where we're going, call his room, talk to him about where we're going. So I'd call his room and he and I'd be on the phone. And I, like I said, I ran down everything to him. When I told him about the specs with DJ Calcutta and Lex Bar, he was like, that's where we're going. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So once I had the, the, the destination figured out, it was like, who else coming? So I knew you guys were supposed to be in attendance. And then uh, they told me to call Stephen Hill from BET and get him out as well. So it's interesting because at, at that time, I didn't have Stephen's number, but I knew um, AJ Calloway, uh, who was uh, a BET personality at the time. And I knew he and Stephen were very tight. Uh-huh. So, and AJ knew I worked with Prince. He had been out in LA with us and all this kind of stuff. But he was an on air personality for, for BET at the time. So I knew he would have Stephen's number. So I, I hit him up and. Uh, I said, hey, man, I, I need uh, Steven's number, man. Can you shoot it to me? Prince wants to get up with him. So he's like, all right, cool. So, you know, he, he sent me Steven's number. So then I reached out to Steven from there and, and uh, we coordinated and got everybody in tow. And next thing you know, we're all at Lex Bar having a good time. Yeah, it was ab- absolutely crazy. Do you remember, I mean, for us, it's such a massive moment, in, not only in our show, but in our lives. You know, it was just a crazy whirl, whirlwind experience. Do you remember at all what you guys were doing, what was happening, or maybe what was said like right before you got there? Or it was like, oh, yeah, the two Australian guys are here. Let's go in. <laughs> um, there was no significant conversation on my part because, you know, Prince had his uh, his friends, uh, his his female friends in the back of the limo with him, and they were kind of talking amongst themselves. I was on duty, so I was in the front with the driver, and uh, we were just trying to, you know, just make sure we coordinated everything correctly. I was calling the venue and and, and or texting with the uh, manager and letting her know we were in route now, so to make sure that everything was in place and uh, things of that nature. So yeah, they, they were having a good time in the backseat, just. Cracking jokes and doing everything that they always did. Mm. 
one thing that you know we're not gonna forget is when you and Prince walked in there. Yeah, we we were just sitting up in that back corner next to the DJ booth, mm-hmm. and then I, I can't remember if you or him came in first, but you both came in. We right. got up, introduced ourselves. Hello, hello. One mm-hmm. of the first things Prince says, "I recognize your voices," <laughs> and straight away that just blew our heads off. It's like yeah. what? Like we yeah. know your voice, obviously, but it shouldn't be right. the other way around. That's crazy right. stuff. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, he appreciated what you guys did, uh, obviously. I mean, for him to, you know, bring you guys out and everything, he naturally, and you know, and there's a lot of people who paid homage to him in a lot of ways, and he wasn't always necessarily feeling it. Some people just mm. didn't necessarily do it right or do it in a manner in which he was kind of on board with. So, and you know, intentions can be sincere, but just for whatever reason, if it wasn't done in a way that he was in agreement with, he didn't necessarily uh, support it. Like, I don't know if you recall the BET Awards when uh, they gave him his Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, he had a designated group of performers who were supposed to do the tribute to him. And it was uh, yeah, yeah. all the women, Alicia Keys, Patti LaBelle, uh, Esperanza yeah. Spalding, and Janelle Monae, right? But prior to that and earlier in the show, Trey Songs is on stage and he's doing his own song. And then he, in an impromptu performance, starts trying to break into a little bit of Purple Rain while Prince is in the audience. And that wasn't designated. BET didn't. I talked to Stephen later, like BET didn't sanction that. Like that was just Trey on his own, like doing his thing to try and like pay a little homage to Prince. And Prince's face at the time told it all. He was, you know, moments <laughs> like that. He just was not comfortable with that. Like, like we have the designated people who are doing my tribute. Like, thank you. I appreciate your sentiment. I'm, I'm think I'm not not speaking for him, but I'm thinking this is what kind of was probably transpiring in his mind. But like, this is not it, you know. So. Like I said, mm. there are people who try to pay homage to him in front of him on a number of occasions, and it, it, it may not have gone. And there are other examples that I can think of too. Without you know, but to speak to you guys, it says a lot about you know the authenticity of what you do and how you honor him and honor his work while he was alive, since he's not been here, and all of that. And I thank you personally for that because you know he left us with some tremendous gifts, and he will be celebrated for generations and lifetimes to come for you all to preserve his legacy in the manner in which you're doing in the manner in which you've always done uh even when he was among us and even since he's been uh departed from us has been just a really incredible contribution to our culture to our society to our world uh because he left us with the gifts but it's up to us now to honor them properly and so i salute you guys i really do uh and i thank you you as a friend as a comrade as a fellow fan as you know somebody who uh, we all, you know, had our experience sharing the moment in time with the man personally. You know, it's, it's, it warms my heart to hear and see what you guys are doing uh, with his music and with his legacy and honoring him in the way that you do. Like so thank when you. we started doing the podcast, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about Prince. We're going to review albums. Uh, we're going to do stuff like that. We, we didn't really think about 10 people might listen. A thousand people might listen. Right. But I don't think it ever even entered any of our brains that. Prince is going to listen to this show. That's, that was one of the craziest things. Right. You just but then, never like, know. And because if we ever had thought Prince is going to listen to this show, we might have been a bit more you know, positive in some of the reviews. Like we didn't say every song is a great masterpiece. Right. If there was something we didn't like or we didn't think this, this song is a great song, we said, you know, the guitar solo and this is not great or whatever. And I think that might have been mm-hmm. one of the things that he could have liked because we didn't just praise absolutely everything. Everything's great. You know, if we right. had a criticism, we explained why. And mm-hmm. maybe that was one of the reasons why. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows I now? Think, I think you're right on point. 
Uh, no, I, 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 you know, all we can, uh, any of us can do is speculate. That's all you could mm-hmm. ever do with him is speculate. You never know what was mm-hmm. going on inside that man's mind. I mean, nobody could. <laughs> very mysterious, very private, always something else going on inside there that nobody else is privy to. But if I was to, you know, venture to guess, I would say that you're 100% correct, that your honesty, your authenticity, your, you know, willingness to be truthful about your feelings and your review and your critiques and whatnot. I think he respected that tremendously because like I said, there's always these people who would just tell him whatever they thought he wanted to hear instead of being who they really were. And he could always see through that immediately. And uh, I think he really appreciated and respected what you guys did in that way. There was always a lot of yes people around who were going to tell him, yes, Prince, yes, Prince, whatever you want, Prince. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it, you know, it's it's hard because, I mean, it's like... Especially if you're, if you're employed him, by him, you know, that's your job. Right. <laughs> if, you're, yeah, if you're around, yeah, exactly. If you're employed by him, if you're around him, if you're in a circle in that way, particularly if you're employed by him, your responsibility is to keep him shielded from, like, you got to keep him basically in a bubble like, with all things. Yeah. So if we get in the car and turn on the radio... It was not like a limo, like we're going somewhere, but like say we're in Minneapolis, we just hop in the car to go somewhere and, you know, we turn on the car and the radio comes on. If it's playing a song he didn't like, he'll immediately say, change that station. And you change it until you find some music that you like. So, you know, he's not going to subject his ears to anything. If we go, like, setting up his hotel room, we got to get his hotel room set up before he gets there. There's certain aromatherapy candles that he liked, certain things like that. That had to be in place. So, you know, his olfactory sensibilities had to be satisfied as well. Like his visual sense, you know, he didn't want to look at a bunch of mess. He didn't want to, you know what I mean? He just had to keep, he didn't want to know about like we're taking him somewhere. We had to deal with different red tape and minutia to set up this, that, the other thing to get him in and out of this and that, the other thing. He didn't want to know the details of it. He didn't want to be bogged down with like how we were making it happen, how we were choreographing it. Just let me know where to go. Yeah. Where I'm walking to, let me know what vehicle I'm getting in, let me know where I'm going, you know, and just let me li- live my life in that way. He didn't want to be, it, it was very rare that he allowed that bubble to be punctured uh, by anything. There was mm-hmm. only when he decided to make an opening for it, let something come in so you could just talk to him. Like, okay, by the way, such as wants to know if, you know, this is going to happen by this time. Okay, such as contacted you about the tour, said that this musician is available, that was not, this was that. You know, you could talk to, the, to him about certain details when he was ready to mm. talk about that. Other than that, you kind of kept him, you know, just in his own space. Prince um, lives in Prince World. Yeah, without question. <laughs> and it's a beautiful place to live. I mean, can you imagine oh, yeah. what it must have been like to be in this time and space on this planet and be Prince Rogers Nelson for 57 years. Like, I don't think anyone can really. I don't know That's if a, anybody can. Yeah. <laughs> we can only just like use your imagination to kind of speculate on what that must have been like. But I mean, he's, you know, I mean, the earlier part of his life, of course, had a lot of tragedy and, uh, and hardship and uh, things that he had to, you know, overcome. And, and he was always had a set of challenges as every human being does on this planet throughout life. But to be who he was with that kind of gift, with that kind of creativity, with that kind of creative output, and to have the world recognize it and celebrate it uh, in a manner which they did for so long, and just the goal places and the level of adoration that he would receive, the accolades, the, the, the access that he had to almost any place, anywhere. I mean, this is somebody who, I mean, there's celebrity, there's superstardom, there's megastardom, and then there's Prince. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, he would go places, and I mean, the biggest stars in the world, some of the, I mean, the most major, like, top, top celebrities in the world would all just turn into fans. 
when they saw him come in because mm-hmm. he was just he was otherworldly. He was something different, you know. So something yeah, we had you just said a second clip. ago. Yeah, so was um if you were, if you were in the car and a song came on, he didn't like, he'd change it. It just instantly reminded me of in mm-hmm. that Lex bar, uh, Calcutta started playing. It was, I can't remember. It, was, it might have been Sexy MF or it might have been uh, FU by CeeLo. It was F U. No, it was F U by CeeLo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I and like <laughs> within like ten seconds, I think he said to you, "Go and tell her to turn it off." Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, no, he actually approached her. Oh, he did it. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, that. yeah. No, I'm sorry. I think he did tell me to tell her to turn it off. And then when we were leaving, he asked her, and I should have briefed her on this. That's that's my bad. I should have briefed her about songs with profanity. But mm. but I don't like to tell artists like how to do their thing, you know what I mean? And I respect her ability yeah. to like, you know, do her craft in the manner in which she sees fit. But um, there are certain things just if you could just avoid songs with profanity. I should have that 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 should have been something that I probably mentioned. <laughs> and she her pulls out, <laughs> you know, just so many details to try and choreograph and coordinate. Like sometimes you just miss, you know, mentioning certain little things like that. But uh, afterwards, when we were leaving, I saw him lean over to her and say something to her. And they had a little exchange and um, I wasn't sure what he said. And then we left. So later on, like, I don't know, next day or whenever it was that I, I, I spoke to her, uh, I asked her, I said, well, you know, by the way, I saw him say something to you. And what did he say? Oh, she's like, oh, he asked me if I had the clean version of that song. And I told him that I did not. And he was like, oh, well. And he just walked off. Sounds about him like him. The funny thing, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, after DJ uh, Calcutta switched from the expletive or explosive version of F.U. by CeeLo, I believe the very next song that she put on was Faster by Janelle. Because I remember in the handwritten notes that I made after the meeting, I wrote, Prince makes a point of Faster coming on by Janelle, plays rhythm air guitar, and I nod a yes in approval, and we both laugh. <laughs> I was just a, one of those crazy memories, right? So yeah, he would have definitely been happy with her transition skills going into going from CeeLo straight into Janelle. That would have made it everything perfect again. So. Yeah, and I mean he loves CeeLo, so he probably would have appreciated the the clean version of that of that other song <laughs> as well. You know, because he 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 loves CeeLo. I mean he had him on the Welcome to America tour and everything. So you know he just his religious beliefs with the profanity. He was very serious about that, and uh, mm. you know he we, we would um. We would definitely do our best to avoid that at all costs and, and all uh, at every turn. So yeah, he didn't care for so that. So he at was all. obviously he he was obviously very principled, right? He was very serious about things that he believed in, and if he had a a point of view, he would share it and follow it through. But one of the things that we noticed really, really early on in that meeting between you, us, Stephen, and Prince was that his sense of humor, and everyone has been talking about this over the last few years, but mm-hmm. it's been coming out, you know, his unique brand of humor, his his own way of being funny, right? It was crazy because we we were nervous. We were very nervous before. You have no idea how nervous we were before you came. Oh, I can understand. I, I, I can understand. Trust me. You were more nervous than me. <laughs> I, I was. Captain was sitting there pretty calm. Uh, I was constantly popping Tic Tacs to make sure, you know, my, my breath is in check, <laughs> drinking water. Because I was drinking so much water, I think I used the, the bathroom there about 20 times. And just before you guys walked in, <laughs> right. you know, we're all good to go. But he broke the ice. When he said, I recognize your voices, that just completely took all the stress and pressure out of the room because it's like, you know, I'm talking to a friend. That's the impression he created. Right. And and one of the things that I remember, and Shane I'm sure remembers from that night, was just how funny it was. Like we had, it wasn't 
it wasn't a sit down conversation, you know, like an interview. We were just it kicking it basically. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy, yeah. and and yeah. I, I lost track of how many times we were we were laughing and cracking up. There's so many classic moments, you know, some which can be shared, uh, <laughs> and some you know you just had to be there kind of thing. True. But do you do you remember the jokes that night? I mean, I remember Stephen Hill uh, afterwards. He was like, "Man, that was one wild night." You know, he was cracking up. Stephen Hill. Right. I don't think right. I don't think Stephen stopped laughing the entire night, but. Yeah. For you, do you do you remember? Was that just another you know typical night on the town? I mean, it was, but I mean, those moments are all very special. Uh, I mean, especially now that he's no longer with us, it's like we look back on that and you cherish him even more. Oh, in terms of like the jokes, I mean, well, it's the one you all always mentioned about. He was he was like, "Show him the gun, Nasser." <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I, for the record, I did not carry a gun. You <laughs> could have fooled that us. Was, that was strictly a joke. You know, he and I, that was, that was my man. That was my boy. So we would just improv, you know, do little things, just like <laughs> these little jokes. And, and, we, and once he saw that you guys were like, oh, no, like kind of like the way you reacted to it, he was like, oh, I'm going to have fun with this for a little bit. And uh, so he, he would repeatedly say that. But, uh, you know, as, uh, as I think you may recall, we were saying something. He was telling you about some mix of, of some record that he was doing, one of his songs. And you were like, oh, I'd love to hear that. And uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he said something, oh, if, you, if, you, uh, if, you, if I heard it, I'd have to kill you or something like that. And you were like, That's it might right. be worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I heard yeah, it. Yeah. I could actually, play it to you, but I'd have to kill you. Right, I've actually right. got my notes. I've actually got, yeah, I've got my notes in front of me because I could show it to you. I play it to you. I'd have to kill you. And I said, yeah, well, that, that might be worth it. And he just kind of, you know, that big, weird Cheshire grin. And right, then, right. And then, he, and then he just, and then he just goes stone cold Buster Keaton. Like you can't even read him. Right. And yeah. then he looked at you and he's like, show him the gun, NASA. Right, right, right. And, and, I, and I reached in my jacket like I really had, like I reached in like I was going to, but then, like, you know, but I knew we were just pulling you guys. Right? Yeah. Oh, that was classic. Possibly yep. the most, I don't know, I'll speak for myself, but possibly the most classic thing that happened that night was, um, you know, conversation started getting deep. And I think you mm. somebody brought up Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. and talking yeah. about it's like black history stuff which coming from australia we know very little about right well nothing and, um, nothing about we, we nothing really i hadn't even heard the name <laughs> we didn't know who that who referenced just, at all like, who is this guy yeah, yeah, yeah. who's this guy mr crow <laughs> yeah pretty much and my right i yeah you, you're talking about the jim crow treaty or Lord. sanctions or whatever it was and then um the first thing in my brain like the only I'm like in my brain, like who's Jim Crow? The first thing that comes into my head is um in the My Name Is Prince song, Tony right. M does a rap, and right. he says in the rap, "I'm gonna put my foot in the ass of Jim Crow." Right. So right. so yeah, as soon as Jim Crow was brought up, I just like I point at Prince and I'm like, Tony M put his foot in his ass, <laughs> <laughs> and the right. look on Prince's face, right. and I guess you guys too, was just like. What? What? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Prince just looked confused. Right. <laughs> but he, right. I guess he got it eventually. Because <laughs> right. no one probably would have brought Tony M up, right. you know, in conversation right. to him in like right. at least 15 years. So. Probably. <laughs> in Crow in that way. Like Prince is telling this serious story about, you know, American history. <laughs> well, as, as I recall, and I what come it was, out with that. <laughs> Prince was definitely holding court, and a lot of people don't realize how pro black he was and yeah. how much he was aware of the injustices that have been done um, to people of color in this country over the years in various ways, particularly in the music business. I mean, he definitely keenly aware of that. Mm. That's why there were certain artists who I think he didn't care for because they kind of were appropriating the culture a bit 
for their own benefit. And uh, I don't think he cared for that at all. We're being what, what some would call culture vultures. Um, so, mm. well, so, but so yeah, was, I do recall he brought up, uh, he was talking about George Clinton as well and how, right, you know, the right. money side I, of it wasn't so great. Well, I brought up George Clinton because, uh, as, as I recall, because we were discussing about these things in general these musicians and how they don't get a fair shake and yeah. uh there's a show that comes on a, a network here called tv one uh and there's a show that comes on there called unsung and each episode is like an hour long and it's spotlight different um musical figure a historical musical figure of some sort in black music and they had just done an episode on george clinton and parliament funkadelic like it had just aired like earlier that week now through previous conversations i knew that prince watched that show a lot and he learned he loved those artists that they spotlighted and um some of them had affiliations with him. So there would be times they would mention him and show his picture and some of these stories uh, and, uh, you know, things of that nature. So I just watched the one on George Clinton like a few days prior. And it, it, it was brand new at the time. It had just aired. And um, I didn't know if he had, he and I didn't have a chance to talk about that yet. So I asked him, I said, did you watch the one, the unsung on George Clinton? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. So I was making the observation that, you know, just to show you how the music business is, and this is stuff that I learned in watching that particular program, that, you know, here's a guy who was, I think, probably well into his 70s at that point, and still on the road, something like 200, 250 nights out of the year, just to earn like a halfway decent living. But his catalog, his publishing had kind of been swindled away from him uh, yeah. through some shady business deal. He's been in court for like decades trying to get that back. But that is as much as like the hip hop artists have sampled that and all that stuff. Here's the guy who created this stuff, you know, and he's not able to benefit off of it like not one bit. He's not, you know, seeing a dime of that money, and it's and it's generating millions and millions of dollars. He could sit home if he could, if he'd had, if things would have been aligned correctly and properly and righteously, he could sit back at home and just watch the money roll in, you know. But he's got to be out on the road at his age, you know, doing these shows in all these different cities and traveling around, and just to eke out like a halfway decent living for a fraction of the income that he would be receiving if he had his royalties. And so, you know, we point out just how these injustices occur time and time again. There's countless examples and stories of that. And so it led me, I was actually reading at the time, there was a book that had just come out right around that time uh, by a woman named Michelle Alexander called The New Jim Crow. And I was reading it around that time. And, you know, like I said, Prince was an avid reader. And that's some of the things that he and I would talk about a lot is the, the books that we read or, you know, the, the articles we might discover or literature we might discover, things of that nature. We shared a lot about that type of stuff. So I was, you know, sharing with you guys about what I was reading in this book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And she was basically talking about the industrial prison complex here in the United States, which is basically these privatized prisons who are essentially utilizing the prison population for what is essentially glorified slave labor. And so the way the court systems are set up and the judicial system set up is disproportionately young men of color are being sent to these prisons for trumped up charges, charges of, uh, on things they didn't commit, laws on the books that are slanted towards, you know, discrimination and, and, uh, and discriminatory practices and uh, landing these men in jail in order to perform the slave labor. So these contractors are getting these prisoners to do certain work and tasks for pennies on the dollar for what they would normally have to pay a regular contractor to do and uh people to make huge profits off of this so she was basically you know equating how this is like the new slave trade how the prison system in the united states is like the new slave trade so i was 
speaking to you guys about that and kind of sharing that with you. And I know it's something that, you know, Prince was already familiar with, but we kind of got into a conversation about that. And that's how I think the Jim Crow thing came up because I was speaking to about that book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Okay. If memory serves me correctly. <laughs> it's a while ago. <laughs> I think we got over that hump okay. Hopefully we didn't offend anyone by our, no, lack, of, our lack of knowledge. But it was no. it was great for us because we came back to Australia and one of the first things we did was started researching all this stuff to educate ourselves on mm-hmm. a bit more about what the conversation was about. So that was um, that was good. It was kind of eye-opening, even though it wasn't our experience right. um, you know, in our part of the world, something else was happening on the other side of the globe. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah, that that whole evening, it was just, I have to admit, so many random comments and, and jokes. And, you know, at one point, I think Prince was talking about the 80s and he was referring to Michael, obviously MJ, Madonna and Bruce and all this sort of stuff. And he made some funny remarks about that. And it was all with good love, but just hilarious. And Stephen Hill, that's, I have to bring him up again. He was just cracking. He's a funny guy. <laughs> he's a, fun, he's a, a funny fun, guy. He's, Stephen is a funny guy. He's, he's, he's laughing. He's dancing. He was dancing to the music. And um, just having a great time. So the whole the whole thing is one big blur for us. But again, yeah. a moment, a moment. Shouts out to Stephen Hill. Shouts out to Stephen G. Hill. Uh, <laughs> well, we have to distinguish because there's actually another uh, an actor uh, named Stephen Hill as well, uh, uh-huh. who uh, is uh, 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 pretty well known, and uh, he spells his name the exact same way with the ph and everything. So you know they kind of get mistaken for each other sometimes. So we have to distinguish which. Uh, so one one of the things that was that was also cool was for us it wasn't just one moment in one place. Meaning after Lexbar, I think Prince or someone mentioned. Do you guys want to go catch some music? You know, do you want to like catch a, right. a band somewhere? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. No worries. Yeah. So then we leave Lex. We all go in separate cars and then we arrive at the groove. Now, yeah, you know, Prince wanted you to ride with him that night. Did you know Is that? that right? Yeah. I had no but idea. You had already uh, made arrangements to ride with Steve. I think you guys rode with Steven down to groove. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did. You, got, you caught a cab with him or he had a car or something like that. He um, had a car, yeah. Oh man, yeah. kill you're killing us now. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Because we all we all got in the car and we all were getting ready to head out. And, and Prince was like, "Tell those guys to ride with us." And I said, "Oh man, I think they already got in the other car and they're already headed over." He was like, "Oh, okay, well, yeah, that's that, you know." So we said, "We'll catch up with them when we get there." Uh, <laughs> kill- yeah, we could have heard that album that he was talking about, and he said he right, had it in right. the car. We could have heard it. <laughs> oh, see. Uh, oh, well. that's probably what it was. Thanks a lot, Stephen Hill. Well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know the gun no. wasn't in that car as well. Hang on. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we ended up going in two cars, unfortunately, but we arrive at this place and this little place. We'd never been there before, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. we're not from from uh, Manhattan or anything. And so we walk through and we take our seat, we sit down. The, the same crew from Lex Bar was at the Groove and uh, that was another trip because, you know, we were treated to a night of funk, but I, I want to call it comedic funk because those guys, they tear mm-hmm. up a storm, but hilarious band. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played a couple of Prince covers as well and they were like, it was all in good fun, but like they were having a lot of fun with it, just acting a fool. For us, it was just brilliant, you know, watching this band who, you're right, you mentioned them before, Lineard's Many Moods. It's not mm-hmm. like they're world-renowned, but they're a killer band. And this, mm-hmm. and obviously... And they should uh, be. Yeah, and they should and they're, be. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, Prince obviously respected them. So for us, it was just a thrill. But um, it was kind of weird because we were watching them and we we're like having such a good time. And at the same time, Prince is just sitting there digging and... And it's, it was this surreal experience because we didn't really say too much for a bit. We were just jamming on the music, you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
But there was a classic moment. We have to quickly mention this. We covered this when we talked about our, our whole meeting many years ago. But at yeah. some point, I think Leinart himself, or Christopher as he's known, comes around with, it was like an intermission, I think, mm-hmm. or a pause, and mm-hmm. he comes around with the bucket. He passes the right. bucket around the, the audience. Right. And for us- When, like, he, when he first came out, I had no idea what was going on. I, we, this, yeah. That whole concept is very foreign. I didn't know what was going on. Like, what's, what's in the bucket? What's right, in the bucket? Right. What's, what's the bucket about? And so in Australia, like, we, we've never seen that happen anywhere. And we, you know, we go to a lot of shows here and all this sort of stuff and all sorts of things. Yeah. 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 So the bucket starts being passed around the table and um, everyone starts leaving, like putting money in, putting tips in. And so right. I think Prince puts down a generous tip to show his appreciation yeah. of the band. And that was awesome. Yeah. But when the, when the bucket came around to us, like I think I opened my wallet and I had maybe a hundred dollar bill and that was all I had right. for me right. to get back from New York to Sydney. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to look bad, but I've got to pass right. the bucket. So I pass it to Shane. I, I can't <laughs> remember what Shane did, but we just passed it I down. Think I, had, I think I had two 100s and again- I couldn't give a hundred. Yeah, I've got to get yeah, back yeah, home as well. And I can't put in a hundred and take out 70 or something. Only Prince has put in that kind of hundred dollar bills and all that kind of stuff in, the, in those buckets. I mean, if I had a five or a 10, I would have put it in. I just didn't have anything smaller. He actually, yeah. the whole time we were going there to hear them and he knew that they did that. Uh, he actually gave me four $100 bills in advance before that to put in there. once we got there and I did that for him. Wow. So um, he was, he was good like that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty cool. But we were like, we're not going to put in money and then start taking money out. Like, this is not like, <laughs> right. 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 Change. <laughs> that became known as the the bucket fiasco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, don't 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 dwell on it too badly. Uh, I mean, they pass that thing around. Just get whatever they can get from whomever they can get it. But it's, nobody's going to look at you too crossly about that, especially understanding that you know your circumstance. I mean, it's not like you weren't being generous. You just didn't have like you know smaller bills yeah. to spare. At the time, so you know, it's, it's all good, guys. Bernard, they still jam there to this day. Uh, I saw them there not too long ago. And, MC, uh, like didn't said, we go back there, to New like, York and saw them again? Yeah, I mean, I was there. I was there uh, on holiday uh, in April, actually, of 2016, um, after the unfortunate events, and so yeah. it was crazy to me. You know, that place will forever. That venue will forever be just so sentimental for me because of what happened, you know, was we were there with you and with Prince and with, with the crew. And so, right. um, but I ended up, I was there with my wife and we went to the groove mm-hmm. and it happened to be that they were playing. I think it was a Thursday night. I think they play every Thursday. Yeah. And so, right. And they did a tribute to Prince as well, you know, not the whole night, but they did a few songs and, and there was a lot of love in that room. And I believe from memory, Leonard shouted out Prince, a number of times and said, you know, he used to come here and check out the music. And he always loved this place because he felt he could come here and he always guaranteed a, a night of heavy funk and just, you know, crazy musicianship. And he could just l- kind of relax and let loose as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing the that- big, The big question is the second time you went back there, did you put any money in the bucket? <laughs> what, you never told us that part. No, every time the bucket came around, I was putting notes in there. <laughs> you made up, you made up for it then. Okay. Yeah, I Excellent. did make up for it. And I, and I went up to Lionard that night. It was, um, I think it might've been April, oh, maybe 23rd or 24th. And it was mm. a few days afterwards. And, and we had a, a really good chat and it was a bit emotional, but he was, um, you know, they, those guys were shocked and everything, but they were, they were just, they said, I remember Lionard said to me, you know, the best way we can, uh, Lionard's many moves can celebrate is just by playing. So mm-hmm. we're going to get on stage tonight and we're going to jam like we never jammed before in, uh, in tribute. And they did that. 
and it was crazy. And we spoke about how when Prince was always at the groove, he would go and sit in the same exact seat right in yes. that corner. It was right. like, so that was probably, we're assuming, you know, something to do with you. Maybe you scoped out like the best seating arrangement, but I yeah. remember yeah. Leonard mentioning that. He was like, he always sat there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. It was, right. it was a great night. Right. Yeah. No, I, uh, well, the first time, yeah, we kind of scoped it out. I felt like that would be the kind of the best place for him, all things considered, how the layout of the club was at the time. And uh, after that, that just kind of became the go-to location for him. My man, uh, Itai, uh, who runs the door there, you know, I would just go in advance and, and connect with him and tell him uh, we were coming through. And he would make sure nobody sat there. He, you know, had it cleared out for us. And, um, you know, we would always just end up right in that corner. And, and Now, the night you guys were there, was this the night that Michael Strahan sat with us with Nicole Murphy? Did, uh, did that? Don't think so. I no, don't think. Okay, don't. okay. There was another night we went. No. I can't. We did it. He used to love to go there, so we went there several nights. There was another night we were sitting right there in that same corner in the groove. And um, next thing you know, uh, Itai is coming up to me. He's like, oh, "Michael Strahan from the New York Giants is here, and uh, he's wondering if, like, you know, uh, there's room at your, at this table." And I said, "Oh, I said, well, let me." I leaned over and asked Prince. I said, uh, "Listen, uh, Michael Strahan from the Giants is here, and uh, he's wanting to know if it's okay if they take these seats." And um, Prince just nodded yes to me. I was like, okay, cool. And then I um, told him, yeah, it'll be fine. And so then next thing you know, Michael Strays and sitting there with like him and like another guy and, and Nicole Murphy, who he was dating at the time, who's Eddie Murphy's ex-wife. So as you know, Eddie Murphy and Prince known each other from years prior. I mean, since the 80s, their friendship is legendary. So um, Nicole's sister, I don't think she realized she was being sat with Prince. So she just sits there and next thing you know, she's uh-huh. like, oh, there's Prince like at the same table and, and at this little, you know, small hole in the wall club in the village kind of thing. And uh, and, and so uh, I totally caught her up. She's like, oh, hi. Hi, remember me? I'm Nicole. And she was like, like, oh, yeah, how you doing? You know, so everybody kind of, you know, had this whole familiarity and history and whatnot. And Prince and Michael Strahan exchanged, you know, uh, mutual respect and whatnot. So that was that was nice. So, yeah, that was that that would be the spot. That would be his spot where he would always sit. Yeah, that 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 is the spot for sure. And for us, like, as I said, it's always going to be in our memories. But just to close off on that whole Prince meeting story and and. And everything we've spoken about, yeah. we remember that it kind of ended in typical, mysterious, uh, unique Prince fashion <laughs> and Prince yeah. style. Yeah. So he looks at Captain and myself, and uh, he's like, "You guys hungry?" And we're like, uh, "And we?" I don't think we were, but we're like, uh, "I mean, we could eat." Yeah. All right. <laughs> we didn't really know what to say. It was like right. two two yeah. o'clock in the morning. Right. And he's like, "All right, well, let's go get some food." And we're like, oh, "Okay, cool." So then everyone gets up. And um, we walk out, we're standing outside with Steven and you guys come out and go in the car and then we start driving. And at one point, because we're following you guys, we're in the car with Steven behind you guys, assuming we're going to some late night breakfast place. And then Steven gets a call and he's like, oh, uh, oh, okay. Um, And he hangs up and we're like, I wonder what that's about. (laughs) And he's like, Prince decided to call it a night. We're like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, man, okay. I would have loved to just shake hands and say thanks. You know, right, thanks so right. much for everything. Right. But that was it. That was like disappeared in a puff of smoke, basically, you know. So that was um Yeah. Well, yeah. You you know, you just never could tell with him. He was uh notorious for changing his mind uh at the drop yep, of a dime. Yep. <laughs> I, and and you know, what I really feel is like there was a always something going on in his mind that only he was privy to. It was always <laughs> like this thought process, like you couldn't really read him. He was always, he's always so mysterious, you know, and um, things would happen. I, I, I think he would, you know, there was an inner 
voice, not like he was hearing voices in his head kind of thing, but like the, the inner voice within him that kind of told him like, this is the way to go. This is the way to, he, he listened to his instincts. You know, mm. we should all, you know, adhere to our instincts because they rarely get us down the wrong path. But he was very good about, you know, adhering to his instincts. His instinct that night was, I've got to get away from these guys. I can take that off my bucket list. I've met yeah. uh, p- yeah. half of the Peach and Black podcast. I can take right, that off. right, right. That's right. Done. Let's bounce. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, leave it, let's leave it on a high. Life is good now. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what he did also that night. You, um, it's so funny to hear that side of it. I wasn't sure if I was privy to him saying that to you or we were going to go get something to eat after that. But I know once we got back in the limo, and this is <laughs> this is just typical Prince, like just toying with you and whatnot. Like I don't know what he was doing, but you know, like I said, I couldn't. You can't figure this man out. But so we're, we're I'm in the front seat next to the driver, and he's in the back with the his friends and everything. And um, when uh, we, we decided to head back to the hotel. He goes, um, and Nasser, uh, he called to the hotel and asked him to get however many there were. There was four people, there were four sets of pancakes and eggs ready. Uh, to send, to send I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I'll, I'll let him know. So I'm calling to the hotel and I'm placing the order and I'm getting everything arranged while we're en route to the hotel. And um, they asked me a question, which I should have thought to ask before I placed the call, which is, how do you want your eggs done? You know, like uh-huh. you can have them fried, you can have them scrambled, you can have them over easy, you can have them sunny side up, you can have, you know, all these different ways you can have your eggs done. I didn't think to find that out before I placed the call. And so that's what I'm saying. There's always something. There's always something unforeseen mm-hmm. uh, when, when dealing with this. So um, I turned back and, you know, they're all in the middle of talking and cracking jokes and everything. And I was like, excuse me. Was like, yeah. I was like, um, how does everybody want their eggs done? Uh, I was like, I'm placing the order now. How does everybody want their eggs done? Uh, and... Uh, Chris just looks at me. He goes, when we get there, then when we get there. And I was like, okay, cool. So then I go back to the phone and say, listen, just put a pause on the order for a minute. We'll let you know, you know, when we get there, what the, what type of eggs we're going to have with each order of the pancakes. He's like, okay, that's fine. So, um, we get to the hotel and we're pulling up and Chris is like, I mean, we're all seriousness. He's like, so you, you placed the order for the pancakes, right? I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, because you know, you, we did not know what kind of eggs you guys wanted, but like, you know, you said when you get there, right? I was just totally confused. I was like, no, he's like, never mind, never mind, never mind. He just goes upstairs. Like, All right, man, whatever. Classic. <laughs> yeah, totally. Anyway, the wind blows, right? Just yeah, totally. You just, just could never tell, you know. Well, it's good. It's good that he didn't lose his appetite after he meeting was, us. I think that's one thing we can hold on to. So, <laughs> without question, you know, it, it was those same like impulsory moves that he made that I feel like kind of also fed his creativity when it came to the music as well. You know what I mean? Like he would just go where he was guided by his spirit. Like, you know, and I think he, as he created music, he followed that same course and that same pattern as well. That's that's my theory anyway. Well, I think it was the night after this meeting, we went, uh, it was arranged that we were going to go to, I think it was BB Kings and Tower of Power were playing. Oh, right. And then at the last Or it might night. have been the night before. I can't remember. No, it was the night before. And, yeah, and, it was the night before. And Prince yeah, yeah. was going to turn up there. And like we were talking to Kim. Right. And she was like, yeah, he's going to turn up. So we got seated. We got some food. Right. We watched Tower of Power. And then at some point, it might have been Kim 
you just got a message. Nah, he's not coming. Yeah. There's your impulse change of mind straight away. Yeah, that was the night before. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, I remember that too because we were tooling around earlier that day taking care of some other stuff and we were in the car and I, again, like I tried to stay ahead of the game and know what's going on around the city and so that. So I, I knew Tower Power was a type of, you know, kind of old school real music by real musicians type of group that Prince would be into and BB Kings was definitely a venue that we had attended in numerous, uh, numerous times in the past on, on numerous occasions. So we'd seen Larry Graham there. We'd seen Layla Hathaway there. Like he'd gotten on stage with Larry Graham there. That's his classic footage of them doing the Sly Stone song on stage of BB Kings, Prince and Larry. Uh, um, thank you for letting me be myself. Uh, so, you know, I was there we setting that whole thing up. So BB Kings was like a familiar place and comfortable place. And this was a great group that was going to be there. I thought he was so earlier than I was, he was like, so what's going on tonight? And I said, well, Tower Powers at BB Kings. He was like, oh, definitely. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. So since earlier that afternoon, that was the game plan. And so when it came time to set up with you guys, and I think there was one of the executives from Live Nation. I Live think Nation, was, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was meeting us there that night. And, uh, and and all these people, you, Kim, everybody was gathered. I stopped by there because uh, I was going to advance. And then like at the last minute, I get the call, Prince decided to stay in today. And I'm like, oh. So it's not like he decided to go somewhere else or anything. He just didn't come out that night. And he would do that from time to time. I, I mean, we'd be getting ready to walk into a place. There were times, we, I mean, we went around several places and I had them all set up. I had advanced this place. I had the designated area all set up inside. Security was ready. Everything was set, was choreographed and ready to go. And he'd pull up yeah. and he'd look outside the place and something about it, he'd be like, no, nah, <laughs> we're not going to go over here. And I, I just have to that, We've you know, had that experience before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in, uh, in Melbourne in 2012, it was the last night of the tour. We went to the main concert. After show was going to be at, uh, or after party was going to be at this, uh, I think it was a hi-fi club. Everything was set up. All the instruments were on stage. Like Morris was up there setting up the instruments and doing a bit of a sound check. Yeah. Prince turned up walked around for a while, and then at some point it's just like, no, nah, he's not going to play. Everything right. was set up. The whole stage was set. Yeah. All that work yeah. was done, and he's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to sit up in the in the booth. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And we're I like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I remember there was a um, band playing as well, like a, a support act, and they must have got like two songs in, and then they just stopped. And mm. the impression was Prince, you know, Prince has asked this band to stop playing. So. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. But that's, that sounds about right. I mean, he just, um, like I said, he, he wanted to be surrounded with certain energies at all times. You know, other energies that were adverse to him for whatever reason, uh, whether it be sonically, whether it be, you know, visually, whether it be nasally, any any of the any energies that he doesn't that he wasn't pleased with, he just tried to avoid them at all costs. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you can never just tell what what was going on, why he would change his mind. Things would be planned. I mean, there would be times when I try and plan things in advance, like we had. Um, like a place set up to do a, a after jam at a venue, like one of his famous late night after jams. And the place is like, okay, so are we doing this or that's the day of, you know, are we like really doing this? Because we, we got to set up, we got to get staff. We got to, I said, man, the best I can tell you is just stand by, you know, and it's getting closer and closer. Like, and they want to know something. I'm like, best I can tell you stand by. So finally it's getting to the point where I can say, well, I kind of want to approach them and say, Hey man, uh, they want to know if you want to still do the jam over at the such and such. And he's and he'll just like, I, I don't want to think about that right now. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> so yeah, man, just stand by, just stand by. He doesn't want to think about it. But then, you know, when all was said and done and the time came and it's like basically time to go over there, he'll say, yeah, call him and tell him we're coming through. 
I'm like, mm. okay. And everybody's got to scramble to get it together and do it at the last minute. So, you know, it would just be, you know, moments like that, man, that went into creating that magic and constructing that mystique and everything else that surrounded the man. Yeah, it created the magic and mystique, but at MC and I, our time in New York, it just seemed like everything was minute to minute. It was just like this sort of, at this yeah. level of organized chaos. Right. Like you sort of know what's going on, but you never really know what's going on. Right. And uh, it was a stressful time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Welcome to Prince World. And they're waiting for phone calls and we're like, we don't know what's happening, but we can't, I can't even go out and go to the toilet. I can't go down to the store and get some food. We've got to sit right. here and wait for this phone call because you just right. don't, we, if we miss the call, who knows what's going to happen next? Right, right, right. Totally. Um, yeah. I, listen, working for him. So, you know, when I'm on call, I mean, there were times, as I told you in the beginning, you know, I'm an actor and Prince knew that and he was fine with that. He supported that. Um, he encouraged me with that. It was all good. But there were times when like, I'd be off work, like not Prince wasn't in town. Prince wasn't, it was in Minneapolis, my knowledge and everything was, you know, the status quo. And I'd be in New York living my life and doing my thing. And I remember coming from an audition that I had in the morning. And I was just leaving the audition and I was just going to like maybe tool around in the city a little bit and pop in this little store and check out this little thing or whatever. Just, you know, hang out in the city a little bit on my own. And I get a call from uh, Minneapolis and he's like, um, so, yeah, I just put Prince on a plane to New York. So he's going to be there at such and such time. So you got to go pick him up. I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, th- I mean, like, at some point, warning. <laughs> yeah, at some point, somebody was booking this flight. At some point, somebody was getting him to there. Like any more notice that you could have possibly given me could have helped. You wait until after he's on the flight to tell me. So you know, I scramble back home. Uh, they gave me the name of his driver. I coordinate with him. I um, I get back home. I rush and put my suit on. I get the driver to come by and pick me up in my place, and we thankfully get out to the airport in time to pick him up by the time he lands. You know, organized chaos. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's just how it went. That's just how I went with him. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was uh, one of the greatest times in my life. Um, it was one of the most enriching experiences that I've ever had. I learned so much being around him, being in his world, being uh, in his orbit. The conversations that he and I would have, the, the friendship and the brotherhood that we developed that, you know, would be something that I will always cherish and uh, look back upon fondly and carry with me. You know, many of the lessons that he, he bestowed upon me, they serve me to this day. So I'm very, very grateful for all that I experienced with him, uh, including meeting you guys. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I have tremendous respect for you all. And uh, I'm very thankful to, to, for you and to you for all that you do. So, you know, just want to let you, you thank know that. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you. Uh, how did your time with Prince end? And what was the last time you spoke to him, your last encounter? <sighs> the time, my time ended with him pretty quietly and unceremoniously. There was never any differences or, uh, you know, anything that occurred between us that led to our time. I think it just ran its course. I was, if you think about it, I was a temporary fill-in, supposed to be for one night, <laughs> and that turned into six months. So, you know, I'm, I got no complaints. I got no regrets blessing, about, you yeah. know, how it yeah, it was a huge blessing. So by the time I think we started closing out the year 2010, you know, we're embarking on a new year, new beginnings. He's about to do some touring. He's doing some things. And it's like, I think he... So we both kind of understood that the time, my time in serving in that in that capacity, I could, I could have continued to do it, and he could have continued to have me do it. But I think we both knew it kind of ran its course. There are other people, you know, I've never done any kind of security work or any work of that nature like I did for him prior to him or since him. You know, that's just not what I'm really here to do. 
I don't think that's not my purpose in this world, but it's Prince. So when it comes to him, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I felt kind of honor bound, so to speak, to look after him and um, be of service to what he was doing with his music and what he was trying, the message he was trying to spread throughout this world. You know, I, I recognize the importance of that and support it and wanted to do all that I can to help with that. So I would do that with him. So, you know, we um, had done the Welcome to America show at Madison Square Garden in December of that year. And uh, I worked there and uh, we had, you know, a lot of experiences in and out, you know, and getting that show up and going and throughout the course of the show and then after the show and all the different ways we had to, you know, coordinate. And I had, you know, I was running around like crazy throughout that whole mm-hmm. evening. And, you know, then afterwards we had an after party set up at uh, the Village Underground, which is across the street from the groove. We had a you know, great band on stage, had all the, you know, amazing uh, guests and people who are part of the show show up to that. And um, we were, you know, just all having a great time. And then Prince had a, a few people select people back to his suite at the Ritz. And I showed up to that just to make sure everything worked out cool. And he dismissed me for the evening. And uh, he asked me to like look up something for one of the Broadway shows that he was interested in seeing while he was in town and uh, send that information to Karen. So I did that. Uh, I told him I would do that and I wound up doing that later. But, um, you know, we were standing there in the in the quiet corner of the room with all this other hustle and bustle and activity. And it's a lot of celebrities and other people, you know, artists and people around who are uh, friends of his and who were involved with the show or attended the show. And um, we're all just kind of sitting around. And um, and so I'm about to walk out because he told me, I think we're good here for the night. And I was like, all right, great. And uh, I said to him, I said, listen, sir, uh, you know, I just want to say congratulations on an amazing show. You know, that was an outstanding job. Congratulations on the job well done. That's what I said. It was an amazing show tonight. Congratulations on the job well done. And uh, he just looked at me and he appreciated it. He said, thank you. And he said, blessings to you. I said, thank you. And uh, then I left. You know, so blessings to you was really the last words he spoke to me in my service to him. Uh, there were a couple of instances where we kind of crossed paths a little bit after that. But it was just a lot going on and not a lot was said, but we acknowledged each other. But that was kind of like our last uh, bit of conversation. So, yeah, man, that's uh, that's kind of. And so then from there, it was just kind of like the phone had started ringing like a little less and less. And I just kind of got the hint like, OK, he's kind of moving. And I knew how he did. I mean, he moved on to other things. And it was never, like I said, any ill will or love lost or anything like that. He was just moving yeah. on to do other things. I was moving on to do other things. I was I never abandoned my career or anything like that. I was still auditioning. I was still doing things of that nature. This was just kind of like like actors a lot of times have a side hustle, have a, have a side gig. You know, you might wait tables yeah. or you might do real estate or you might do substitute teaching or, you know, whatever your, your thing is on the side for actors. So for that period of time, that was my side job. That was my kind of side hustle kind of gig, you know. And um, But it was the most amazing thing in the world to be a part of at the same time. So, you know, when it came to an end, it was just like, okay, you know, just as the end of this chapter, it wasn't the end of, uh, you know, our connection or our friendship. It was just how that particular moment was supposed to play out. And it did. And I'm forever grateful for it. Yeah. So my, my question is one of the last ones is, uh, do you have any thoughts on um, Prince's legacy? Like uh, maybe from the point of view of how do you think Prince will be remembered in the future, say in like 40 years time? Um, I think that's a great question, by the way, Tojam. So thank you. I, I think 40 years is actually a drop in the bucket for the amount of time that this man will be remembered and the work and the legacy that uh, he created. I think we will see 
well, we won't see it in our lifetime, but I think the world will see that perhaps for centuries to come, uh, generations and time in and time out, this man will be recognized, will be celebrated, will be studied, will be analyzed, very much like how today you have uh, a Mozart or Chopin. I was just going to say that Mozart himself, like yeah. Mozart himself, you know, was famous during his life, but it wasn't until you know a significant time afterwards that people really started to realize, wow, this guy was insane. So. Right. Well, you know, Prince loved that Amadeus movie. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, of course. I mean, he could probably relate to it on a, a multitude of levels because he was prodigious yeah. and it was funny. It was a great movie. But yeah, so I think he will be remembered. I think how we recognize those uh, great composers today gives us some sense of how Prince will ultimately be remembered uh, to the end of time for time to come. I mean, this, those songs exist. Uh, that classic music exists. It makes people, new generations, feel uh, the same way it made us feel when we first heard them when they first came out. So, you know, we're living in an amazing moment in time that we could actually say we lived in a time when, like, this man walked the earth. I've said this on the podcast before, but in some ways, I kind of envy, like, someone, say, you know, 16, 17, 18 now. Mm-hmm. listening to Prince for the first time and having right. those, you know, listening to that music for the first time because, you know, all of us have heard these songs, you know, a thousand times each over. And yeah. as good as we still love them, you'll never be able to have that experience of listening to it for the first time again. Uh, I agree. I agree entirely. I, did you, Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. There's an American television show on ABC, on the network ABC called Blackish. Uh, it stars on... Uh, oh, they did a tribute show. Yeah, not that long ago. They did. They did. Uh, for their 100th anniversary, they did a tribute show to yeah. Prince. And the premise of it was basically that it's this, you know, yeah. black family unit uh, with the parents who are of, say, a generation that grew up on Prince's music and their parents who are obviously a little bit older but still old enough to remember him. Uh, and then the, the younger kids who probably missed out on a lot of his stuff as it was actually happening in real time. And the parents are enlightening their children about Prince's music and basically getting them on board with being like Prince fans. The youngest ones of them. The, yeah. uh, the older of the kids, they, they're kind of already into him. But uh, so anyway, they did this kind of retrospective of his career and his songs and um, what they meant to them. It, it, was, it was an amazing tribute. It speaks exactly to what you're talking about in terms of the next generation, like learning about him for the first time and being able to discover him. But it was it was so beautifully done. I had to um, hit Anthony up after that and tell him how amazed I was that uh what they did and we had a nice conversation about that and about prince and uh and all that because uh, that's actually how i got to meet anthony was through prince and so uh-huh. if you ever get a chance to check that out i think you'll find a lot I, I recorded it and it stays on my dvr i haven't been able to delete it but i can't watch it i haven't been able to bring myself to watch it again yet because i know it gets kind of emotional for me you know yeah, because, yeah. Uh, you know we just talk about like like what he meant to everybody so hmm. It's a m- moment in time, and and I guess you'll you'll have that forever, right? It's the the memories that are the that are the most important and that what mean the most to us, I guess. So yes, uh, without yeah. question. And um, so you know, now that he's no longer with us, uh, you know, I cherish that time even more, and it makes me have much more profound appreciation for, like I said, what you guys are doing and honoring and preserving his legacy. So it's it's very important that that is done. So you guys are doing great work, and I appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much, man. And your your words. Your words mean a lot to us as well, and and in the spirit of Prince, and in the spirit of having a good time, and and uh, always leaving with a smile on your face. I've got to yes. say, this is this is my last one for the uh, <laughs> for the show. You know, you spoke early, really early on uh, when we started talking, actually, about your 
10 years or so worth as a stand-up comic oh, in yeah. New York and, and all that, and that, that sort of crowd that you hung out with and all the work that you uh-huh. did in that space. So going back to your time, you know, those six months that you spent with Prince, did you ever use your comedic skills that you can remember, like anything that just comes to mind to make him laugh or release oh, yeah. some tension or release some tension in the room where you guys were kind of just cracking up, looking at each other? You know, those, those are the moments that you never forget, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, we definitely had quite a few moments like that. And that was the thing about Prince. He loved to laugh. He loved making other people laugh. He recognized, I think you could recognize, as he can recognize the value and power of his music and making people feel something, also this power and, and value and, uh, and laughter. And true practitioners of that craft, having been one myself and done stand up for the time that I did and being around the people that I've been around and shared the stages that I've staged and witnessed the stuff, you know, you really create something special when you're able to make somebody laugh. So I, I think he, he he was very much a big proponent of that. And, um, you know, a moment that I can think of when I said something to make him laugh. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had had a, a, a moment where he, the first night uh, we, he, he, he wound up staying in like a very small room. Again, as it was, uh, without going into too much detail, it was a result of like Prince changing his mind at the last minute and switching things up and <laughs> no, one thing led to another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one thing led to another and it ended up with him staying in like this really small hotel room for just one night at the Hudson Hotel. And it was the first night I met him, so he's in a small room. So we were in there and I'm trying to help him turn off the stereo that's in the room and there was a tray in front of and in, in, in front of the case that the stereo was in and i didn't even have anywhere to put the tray down except for like on his bed and i didn't want to put it on his bed so i'm like looking around i'm trying to just and finally I'm, i just like and i look at it and i said and, and i'm trying to look for a place so i have this tray in my hand i'm looking for a place to hold put it down and i'm looking around i'm looking around there's nowhere to put it down and finally i just give it to him and say here man you hold this <laughs> so, he, so, so he grabs the tray and we both have a good laugh because there's literally no place to put it down. So then fast forward, you know, a few weeks or whatever later, and I'm at Paisley, and we're actually having dinner, and, and, and we're talking about how small that hotel room was and how challenging it was to, like, even maneuver in there. And uh, I hit him with, like, an old-school joke. Um, I said, yeah, man, I said, that, that room was so small, if you had dropped your handkerchief, you would have had wall-to-wall carpeting. And he just <laughs> laughed <up. laughs> he, I mean, he, he cracked up to the point where it was one of those things where he was, like, stomping his foot on the ground, like, while he was, like, like... <laughs> <laughs> like laughing like he was like he was cracking up and then he told me that he remembered i can't remember the guy's name but a, a classmate of his he said the guy's first and last name i uh, had said that on the playground about somebody when uh he was in school and he brought and he said he and, they, and they, he brought the house down with that joke like so it, it took him back to like a schoolyard moment because uh-huh. like, that's kind of it's like an old school diss you know it's like an old school like um you know you're gonna roast your somebody mama. a little bit you know oh, <laughs> yeah you're like a, your mama joke you, your mama house so small you, you you know you drop the handkerchief on the floor she'll have wall-to-wall carpeting you know so you know it can be used in that context so but i use it in this context and so um but it, it made him crack up man and uh, i think early on like i said that's what kind of helped establish uh our rapport and that we we definitely shared like uh numerous humorous moments in that way and uh so yeah it was cool it was cool yeah it's awesome it's awesome to hear that sort of stuff it just brings a smile to our face there's a, a lot, a lot yeah. of smiles in the in the room in this virtual room at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> without question, smile, smile yeah. on my face too, guys. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So yeah. it's been a, it's been a minute, and uh, we we want to just say, and Asa, really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts that oh, you've uh, you. come on after all these years. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and speaking with you again after that magical night in October 2010. 
has uh, right. just been a, a real thrill. And uh, we want to thank yes. you for sharing your stories and your memories, you know, your point of view and your thoughts and experiences working with the man uh, and also giving us, giving us some insight into your life and, um, and your journey. Yes. And for the kind words that you have had for us, we really appreciate it. And uh, finally, thank you for your help and assistance in making us all come together. Uh, we'll never forget it. So uh, thanks again and uh, all On the best. On our 10th anniversary. 10th Ten <laughs> anniversary. A decade. <laughs> wow. Yes. Crazy. Well, that, that's, that's very kind of you to say. I do appreciate your words. And I just want to tell you that um, it is my honor to be here. I'm very grateful to you all for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm super stoked and honored that, you know, I would be uh, on the 10 year anniversary episode. So um, that's pretty major. So uh, and, and c- congratulations on 10 years. I mean, that's an eternity for a podcast. I mean, that's, <laughs> like, that's <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's massive. That's major. But it's a testament to you guys and the, and the great work that you're doing and the great subject that you are uh, spotlighting and highlighting. So I can appreciate uh, what you're doing with that. And uh, you guys are, are amazing. I just say keep up the great work. Uh, I will hope you have another 10 years and beyond as long as you want to keep doing this, as long as it makes sense for you to do it. Uh, I wish you all the best, nothing but success and uh, good fortune for you and your families. You. And uh, listen, I'm always here, man. Uh, you know, this is my first time on this show, but perhaps hopefully it won't be the last. So we can always, well, you know, it could be a part two uh, coming. You know, hey, there you go. <laughs> There you yeah, go. Lots you more stories. <laughs> You're always welcome. There's lots yeah, sounds, of things. I appreciate it. Sounds good. Thank and you. also just want to say all the best for you and, and all the projects that you're working on and, and uh, you know, your activities going forward as well. So thank you. Want to, want to wish you. you all the best. And thank yeah, you. when I'm in Australia, I'll look again. you guys up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for, yeah, sure. for sure. sure. Oh, for sure. Make it yeah. Is there anything coming up that we can look out for your face? Uh, there are some announcements coming soon. I can't say just yet what they are, but stay tuned. I will oh, okay. definitely keep you, keep you posted. Um, I mean, okay, in the awesome. meantime, if you like Google me or IMDB me, you'll see some of my previous work or work up to this point. Um, but there's a few things coming out down the pike, definitely. And, uh, some other stuff that's in the works that I'll be very excited to announce, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Cool. So, yeah. Very good. Awesome to hear. All right, well, we'll, we'll let you go. We know, uh, it's been, uh, it's been brilliant having you on and, and uh, we appreciate you taking your time out. Oh man, I can't wait to uh, see the finished product. So uh, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you guys. For sure. Awesome. Take care. Talk soon. All right, fellas. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you. Yep. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Let's go around the room as we always do, but this time do something a little bit different. We normally talk about Prince and his music and album reviews, this, that, and the other. We've been online for over 10 years as a podcast now, and the four of us have always been here, part of this virtual roundtable, and always had something to say. And it's been a crazy adventure. It's not over yet, but let's think back the last decade. What are some of your favorite moments, guys? I've got a few, but I'm not going to lead, lead the charge here. I'm going to hand it over to maybe Captain. Open up with something that's on your mind. Ooh, okay. I was thinking about this. The highlights, obviously... You know, October 2010, flying to the other side of the world at Prince's request. That has to be way up the top of the list somewhere. I can't think of much better than that. That whole thing was just crazy. And to have NASA on here, you know, reliving that time was just crazy. I didn't think that had ever happened. Uh, Another highlight is probably the funniest times that we have when we're recording. And some of them stay in the show and the ridiculous things that happen. But I'd say more than half get cut out in editing for various different reasons. More than 50%, you reckon, end up on the cutting room floor. 
Yes, <laughs> easily. <laughs> there's a lot of us being idiots. And, you know, people might think, well, there's a lot of that in the show, but there's way more, which you don't have been here. So <laughs> don't underestimate the level of idiocy. <laughs> idiocy. <laughs> it is massive. Uh, another big thing, the interviews, you know, we talked to Tony M and if I'm recalling correctly, we were the first interview he did in yeah, many, right. many, 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 many years. So that was pretty special. And I love Tony. So that was great. We talked to Ida Nielsen from Third Eye Girl. We talked to Mr. Morris Hayes. We talked to Larry Graham, yeah. the thumb, the thumb himself. <laughs> we talked to, <laughs> we talked to who wrote the book, uh, Jason Draper, author, and we talked to Dwayne Tudal, yeah. and we talked to Shelby Rodriguez for people that go way back to the early years and remember Shelby. Hey. And now we talked to NASA from the famous, infamous New York meeting. So interviews are always cool because it's just not us for babbling away. So it's good to have a different voice now and then. I've got more, but uh, someone else go and let's see what else other people have. Uh, one of my highlights has to be the our top 20 songs of all time because remember oh, we made that man. massive survey I and that, uh, that took a bit of time to get up and running. And I remember thinking like, is this going to be a success or is it just going to be something a bit of fun? And we ended up getting thousands of uh, responses. And um, yeah, it was really good. And it was actually really fun, you know, doing all the data and putting it all together. And and I really liked, I remember when we did that, we we didn't know what the, I think only one of us knew what the outcome was going to be. And uh, we yeah. went around like that. Yeah. So that was, that was fun doing that show. Really fun. And of course, that's the one, as far as we can tell, the one that Prince listened to and really liked and contacted us after hearing that show or around that time. So like, it's a bit of a special show uh, for me, I think. So. Yeah. And Paul, Toe Jam and Player had to do all that work, collating all the information. That's I don't even want to think about how horrible that was to do. But yeah, th thanks to everyone who voted in that. That was that was massive. You know, we never oh. released the actual end result, did we? <laughs> well, you got to listen to the show. Oh, you get these authors like, oh, well, I can't answer that. You got to read the book. You want to hear the top 20? You got to go and listen to that show. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the full, full, full results, you got to wait another 10 years. Oh, and don't forget, there was a top 20 songs from the 90s as well. That's because also true. The yeah, top yeah. 20 Prince songs was pretty much all 80s from memory. There might have been one mm, yeah. from yeah. later. but So then we did a 90s one as well. And again, a million people voted. It was great. But we did a 90s one. And again, all the top songs were from the 80s. And so that was a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, that's need to do, we need to do a 2000s. That'll yeah, be the next one to do. In the 2000s. Next. Wow, so many years, so many, so many memories. Toe Jam, you got any more? Uh, I mean, I remember little bits like Tick Tick Bang, the graffiti bridge review. That, that's <laughs> one of my. I, just remember, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember laughing a lot that day. <laughs> I also remember recently having a talking for ages about, um, I think it was the extended version of Computer Blue on the Purple Rain Deluxe. Like that was a fun <laughs> review as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Player, what do you got? Uh, um, let me get the negatives out of the way. I think one of the <laughs> one of the things that bothered me the most in the last ten years were the early years where you know our hardware and software were really primitive, and we did some really legendary shows that just like at the end of it, it just they never saved for whatever reason. Skype always crashed on uh, us. I mean, those were the days where it was just. <laughs> Heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking because we some shows we've recorded like three or four times. Diamonds and Pearls. Nineteen ninety nine. I remember that. That was so it's always the big ones. Yeah, yeah. Rainbow Children, I think, as well. Yep. And even the end result of Rainbow Children didn't really come out that good. But you know, those those were really heartbreaking times because 
you know, we put a lot of love and effort into it. And it just, by the end of it, we'd record for like two or three hours and we just lost like the entire show or whatever. So now we've got like triple backups. <laughs> yeah. So they, those things stick out in my mind, the tough parts of the early years. They're, they're the things that kind of stand out. But on the flip side, you know, doing this podcast has opened up to so many opportunities. You know, we've met so many people, uh, St. Paul Peterson, Ricky, Larry Graham, Ida. You know, it just all these people that we sort of never had sort of contact with. And, you know, just by virtue of this podcast, we've, you know, we wrote the tour book for the 2012 tour and all these oh, yeah. opportunities forgot about, that I came totally up. I totally forgot about that. Wow. Yeah, all these One opportunities. One you just then that I totally forgot about was we met Sheila E. from oh, yeah. Sheila E. Yeah, we, and of course, even Michael Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> So yes. like all these all these crazy things kind of happened and it, you know it, that would never have happened without this podcast and so like that's what when I think of the podcast I th- just think of the amazing opportunities how you know the Ivy After Show was total sellout and we couldn't get in there without the help of um, Prince's management and you know it was just oh yeah you know, things that we're really grateful for and it's just by virtue like I said of this podcast so I'm really thankful for things like that and. And also all the listeners. The listeners have been great and very supportive and we still wouldn't be here 10 years later if they if you're not listening to us. So without them, there is no That's us. That's true. That's true. Come <laughs> on, MC. MC, what do you got? Oh, there's so much. I mean, Player just touched on some of the um, the highlights for me as well, so I won't ramble on too much about them. But I guess, yeah, the opportunities that we have been privy to is one thing. But I think probably the biggest thing, 10 years later that I think outside of the October 2010 meeting that Captain and I were so lucky enough to attend, but aside from that obvious number one, that that's for us personally. But from a podcast perspective, I think it's, it's just awesome anytime someone shows us some love because every time we get on here, it's about our love for the music of this one person, Prince Rogers Nelson. And this is what it is. It's a labor of love, which is why we do it. And we love to have a good time while we do it. And I think every year at some point I've said this sort of thing. Uh, I've made these sorts of remarks. And the crazy thing is that 10 years later, we still seem to be going strong. Somehow we find the way to come together and keep the show rolling. And so um, that's a huge highlight. The other highlight, again, is for just the love we get from and the support we get from listeners and from people whether it's emailing us directly or contacting us through all the different social media channels or even in person. You know, we've had meetups in Australia with with fans, uh, not necessarily just Peach and Black meetups, but, you know, meetups at concerts or shows or Prince tribute events and all this sort of stuff. So that's been great. When I was overseas, uh, Switzerland, and then also in Holland, you know, I had people who noticed the Peach and Black shirt and would come up to me and go, oh my God, I can't believe you're the Peach and Black podcast. Like, what are you doing here? Oh, you know, love the show, this sort of stuff. <laughs> So that that's kind of crazy when you're in another country and, you know, granted it wasn't thousands of people running down the street, <laughs> you know, chasing me. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily go that far, but still walking through a music festival or even through the street sometimes and someone would go, are you? Oh, my God, Peach and Black. Wow. Uh, yeah, I listened to you guys for years. And 
that kind of stuff is crazy because you you put a lot of love. I love and you guys. Into I it. just can't stand that Rob S. <laughs> <laughs> if you just get him off, the show would be the show would be perfect. <laughs> but uh, it's that sort of stuff. It's it's kind of difficult to talk about it because it's so close to us, to all four of us. I'm sure you know it's this thing we do, and we're just going to keep on doing it. But it's been brilliant. It's been great being here with you guys. But the fans and our listeners and supporters take it into overdrive. That. That's the thing that, as Player said, if we knew that no one was listening and no one wanted to hear us, well, we probably wouldn't do it. I mean, we'd probably still talk to each other, but we might Just not record, record it, it. <laughs> yeah. and put it out as a as product and you know, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I can't fathom the fact that we've been doing this for a decade. It seems it just seems insane to me. And the other thing I should quickly point out is. Recently, I've attended a few podcast conferences and podcasting events, just general podcasting um, functions. And we should just call you Mr. Podcast from now and on. Every, <laughs> and every time someone's asked me about this show, they usually follow up the question. They usually ask a follow-up question around, uh, how long have you been doing it? Once I explain to them what the show is about. And when I tell them that we started in 2009, most people cannot believe that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the other thing that kind of really strikes me is 10 years is a long time, but 10 years in podcasting is a particularly long time because back in 2009, it was just, it was a whole different thing. You know, it was uh, the early years of the whole movement. <laughs> the, oh, I love the early years. It's funny you mentioned that because I went to a podcast seminar in Adelaide and the guy hosting it had only done a podcast for like five years and he was kind of like the expert in podcasting and I was sitting there in the room probably... <laughs> <laughs> recording like a podcast way long before this dude kind of thing. Yeah, it was yeah, still yeah. great. It was great to listen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we could keep going, going. It's hard I've to... Got, I've got one Okay, more. here we go. <laughs> Player, what else have you got? I kind of really dug how when we would talk about particular Prince songs and then the next tour or the next show, like those songs ended up in the set list. I thought that was kind of, that was like really weird and surreal where there'd be certain songs that he would uh, haven't performed for in years and we suddenly talk about it and then the, it's, it's almost like the next show he was performing them and they were getting added into the set list like that was kind of crazy someone said this before among us and that is just the number of things that we have said in this show and then whether it was a month later or eight months later you know prince did or said something or played a song that we talked about like the number of things that we have said or talked about and then it's happened is just insane one day i'm going to go back and listen to every single show we did <laughs> and just write down there's there's got to be at least 20 it's just a crazy, you know, it's, it cannot be a coincidence is what I'm yeah. trying to say. It's, it was just that common. It's crazy. I mean, then, then there's, then there's real, I mean, that's crazy, but there's even crazier stuff than that. Prince once recorded a jam, I believe with Third Eye Girl, and he actually, the, the name of the jam and the name of oh. the file, the MP3 file <laughs> is toejam.mp3. I just want to repeat that for a second. The name of the MP3 is toejam.mp3. <laughs> Maybe Eda Nielsen was a Sega fan as well. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> never know. No, no, no. Prince listened to the show and he heard, oh, this is he's this guy. He's the music guy. He knows what he's talking about. I'll do a song for him. That's what it was. <laughs> well, we already know in the vault there's a song called Player. So maybe in the vault, we're all we're going to find <laughs> yeah. now. It's the Rob S track, <laughs> the Captain track. And then <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and in oh, fact, uh, he recorded the Player one as a premonition. He's like, one day there's going to be a podcast <laughs> guy called Player. <laughs> <laughs> if I had your girl, I wouldn't be one. <laughs>
Ooh, here's, here's, here's actually a massive highlight, just having Prince play the Opera House. And we've said this before, of course, but it is our 10-year anniversary show, so I have to mention this again. After our episode where we challenged him. Sydney crazy. Opera House Challenge was in our first year. Wow. Yeah, episode 16. That was a big moment because in our first year we put out an episode where we challenged Prince to play the Sydney Opera House and then seven years later, it, you know. The funniest thing about that show is it was just hours and hours of us just going, oh, what if he played this? What if he played this? What if he played this? And then all of us just going, oh, wouldn't it be good? And that's just that for like hours and hours. <laughs> so if you want to hear that, <laughs> yeah. go back to that episode. The funniest part of that story is then coming up to the 2012 Welcome to Australia shows. We get contacted and it's like, you know, do you think you'd be able to find a string quartet to play on stage with Prince? And it's like, I don't know if we've mentioned that before, but straight away, that's Prince's sense of humor. He heard that show and he's like, I'm not playing the opera house right now, but I'll say this. The funny thing about what you just said, Captain, about us getting that email where he's kind of asking us all these really weird things, making weird requests about (laughs) string quartets and, and and other things is that, the email almost all, I think actually always was in caps from him. All I don't know if caps. you guys remember that. Anytime we got an email from someone else in the camp, it was all just normal. Like, But anytime yeah. there was some weird request or there was some funny remark, it was like all caps, you know, massive letters yeah. and, and usually a, a <laughs> bit of good humor thrown in, which is kind of funny. In fact, going back to that that email, I think when he, when he sent, it's kind of crazy thinking now that Prince typed that email and sent it to us. But from memory, he told us about the slow version of I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man that he would end up performing on that tour. That was in one of those emails that were written in all caps. So it's kind of crazy, like Prince is telling us about that. And at the time, we mm. didn't know. You know, we were guessing, but we didn't know at the time, which is kind of crazy. So so um, lots of insanity over the years. Oh, yeah. And the 2012 review show where he made the MPG listen to that show. And then still evolved from that, he did eventually play the Opera House. We challenged him. It happened. There's, there's another one right there. <laughs> yeah. And he even did play a couple of songs at the Opera House, which were in the Opera House Challenge show. So go back and listen to that show and you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, granted, given that we've probably said every single Prince song in existence, it was only inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of songs mentioned. But they weren't like, it's not like, oh, Cream and and Purple Rain and Little Red Corvette. It was like, there was some pretty obscure tracks that we mentioned in that show. But yeah, go listen to that show. It's a good one. What else we got? One of the funniest things in the last 10 years was MC just blowing stupid amounts of money to fly all over the world twice. First Montreux and then North Sea Jazz Fest and then coming back and then we do the whole review show about those shows. That like that was just a hilarious thing that he, he did that. <laughs> it was pretty funny, especially because I was telling you guys like I'm done. I'm not going to anymore. I'm not I'm not going overseas <laughs> anymore. I'm not buying any more concert tickets. I've spent enough money on this, on this crazy hobby. And then you guys, I, I think Toe Jam always used to say, oh, yeah, we've heard this all before. You'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it ended up happening. That was even like exactly the same even in 2000, right up till 2012 in the sense that um, oh, I'm not going to go to Melbourne. I'm not going to go to Melbourne. <laughs> MC comes to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> I got another, another one, which... 
strangely, is also about MC. When we first started reviewing albums, we gave a rating out of 10, at least for the first few years from memory. And the most famous, infamous was MC gave the Batman soundtrack four out of 10. And I still <laughs> remember that. And I still cannot believe How it. How could we forget? You're no reminding one, me about never, it every, every, every episode. Never forget. We gave him so much crap for that. He Not long after that, he retired from rating albums because... <laughs> He's like, no, I can't do this anymore. And I think the rest of us still did it for a while after that. I'm not sure. And then I think we just forgot about doing it. and We never did it again. (laughs) No one noticed. (laughs) No, no one one ever said, what happened to the ratings? That's funny. (laughs) So yeah, MC retiring from scoring albums, that was a pretty funny thing. It's like (laughs) someone um, saying to Prince, what about the whammy bar? Like no one reminded him that he got rid of it. (laughs) Hey, you're not using the whammy bar anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say they have to give a shout out to Brian, don't we? (laughs) Brian. Oh my God. Yes. Now there's something oh. for the, the old school listeners. Yeah. Going way back. They all know about Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I've totally forgotten about that. One more thing. I've got to add this before we we're out of here, but um, yeah, eating, yeah. it seems it was most noticeable, I think in the first few years, but it's, it still continues now. There's at least one of us eating or drinking something. <laughs> Drinking away in the background. I'm sure people have heard. I've, I've actually seen mentions of it, I think, on Twitter not that long ago. It's like, who was, I can hear someone eating in the background. What's that? But we've mostly stopped that, but, um, or we just discovered how to use the mute button. But yeah, eating, that's always a good thing. It's hard to get through a four hour recording session of the <laughs> podcast without using the bathroom at least once and having a meal. <laughs> just to let the listeners know, like, we need our sustenance and, MC is king dingling of like clinging the bowl and chewing away every time we jump on to record. Well, it's usually Toe Jam's got some ice cream or some chocolate. MC's usually got yeah, some food or alcohol. Cereal. 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 Yeah. yeah. Or, or alcohol. Beer. Red wine. Mm. Captain's on the on the uh, the mothers or the Red Bulls and all of that stuff. V or Red Bull occasionally, yeah. Or sometimes just Mountain Dew. <laughs> Players on the, the occasional snooze. Yeah, I'm on the sleep. Oh, my God. How could we forget the time when player fell asleep? (laughs) I don't think that episode's been released yet, but it's coming soon, everyone. Stay tuned. Oh, my God, really? That might be one of of the top ten highlights, actually, now that I think about it. (laughs) I don't think that episode where player fell asleep's actually been released yet. It's been recorded, so, yeah, we've got a a few in the vault, so stay tuned. There's more to come. Let's ask the listeners. Get on the social media. Get on Twitter and Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. Yeah, we're on Instagram. We've probably mentioned them all in the last minutes, but just tell us your favorite things. Yeah, your favorite memories of the last 10 years. Probably things that we've forgotten long ago. And if you've got a microphone... And a computer, hook it up. Or even a phone, a, just a phone. Record it yeah, on your phone. Yeah, even a phone, that's right. Oh, microphone and computer. What year is this? God. <laughs> 2009? <laughs> press, press voice record on your phone and, um, yeah, send us a bit of a soundbite about your favourite memories or moments on the Peach and Black podcast. Yeah, do it. Do it now. You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. Continue the Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
and YouTube. The Pigeon Black podcast is written and produced by Rob S, Captain, Player, and ToeJam. Original theme music by ToeJam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on iTunes. You can contact the Pigeon Black Podcast at pigeonblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com.